117 of the Rip Talk Number podcast. Your uh, co-hosts are playing musical chairs on you. I would say, I, I don't know if I ever <laughs> get the same co-host every week, but this week, Robert is out, Katie is in, Yay. and Megan's filling in for Robert. <laughs> so, I'm here every week. That's all I know. Yep. Uh, but yeah, episode 117. Uh, let's go ahead and do our sponsor stuff. Get that out of the way. Absolutely. If you're looking for a high quality PVC rack, look no further than Lone Star Reptile Racks. They offer a variety of sizes for all types of snakes, geckos, rats, and more. You can even order something custom. Shipping is available or you can plan to pick up at a Herps Reptile Show near you. Visit lsreptileracks.com to reach out to Lone Star Reptile Racks and place your order today. Yes. And also Herps Reptile Shows which we have Lafayette coming up soon. Yeah. Absolutely. Two Not weeks. this weekend, but next weekend. Yeah, June, June 4th and 5th, we'll be back over in Louisiana for Lafayette show. And then the weekend after that, we're in Conroe. Yeah, but you you skipped ahead of the part where I was excited because I get to have Boudin. Okay. I'm getting Boudin. Okay. I might bring Boudin back. You have like literally one night to eat because we have to drive over after a workshop. Yes, but I can stop at Billy's and get frozen Boudin balls, bring them back and then oh, cook them here in the air You can fryer. absolutely do that. I will allow you to do that. Well, I'm not asking for permission. <laughs> I'm getting balls. Uh, but yeah, so we have Lafayette, then we have Conroe, the big Conroe show June 11th and 12th. That's Katie's birthday. Don't tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> June 11th and 12th will be in Conroe. That's also, by the way, the weekend that the, the new, new Jurassic, Jurassic Park movie comes out. Well, it's Jurassic World, but still, who's, who's counting? Uh, but that is the weekend that opens up, and I and I have to go see that. We're going to see it for my birthday. I don't know if I'm going to see it or not. We're I'm going to totally not, next I'm week. We're binge watching them. All. I'm not a I'm not a fan of my, of the movies after the first one. The first one is the best, and it's the only one that. I'm going to have to tell you to fuck off. I 100 percent all of the them. only one, even the really bad one. Like no, no, three. number no. Everyone agrees number three is fucking horrible. No one <laughs> like, needs oh, to watch number it's three. The I absolute just love worst. it. Three is the worst movie. It's terrible. But the new ones are good. I like Chris Pratt. Yeah. I like Chris Pratt. I like the new ones. Okay. I mean, I don't know how that doctor keeps going. Gonna... I mean, he's dead now. He's got to be dead. No, he's not dead. He's in the new ones. We're yeah. going to binge him this doctor. week when we get out of school. Anyways, uh, June 25th, 26th, Longview, Texas. Uh, so if you're in North Louisiana or East Texas, go to the Longview, Texas show. Uh, then over to July 23rd, 24th, it's Slidell. It's during the summer, so I'll actually get to go to that one. Uh, then there's the Oklahoma City show, July 30th and 31st. Oh, I'm not going to that one. Corpus Christi is August 13th to 14th. That is around when school begins. That's right before school starts. Is it? Yes. When does school start? School starts on the 17th, 18th. Oh, man. That's so much better. I thought it started earlier. We'll be in workshops that week. Fuck my But we won't have kids. Anyways, Bryan College Station, August 20th, 21st. Again, that's also a great chance to check out the Herps Reptile Shop. If you haven't checked it out over there in Bryan, Texas, the Herps Reptile Shop is amazing. And then Austin, Texas, August 27th, 28th. And pass that. I'll fill you in later on. Also, check out our friends at Wiregrass Exotics over in Ozark, Alabama. Go over there for your feeders. Check out some awesome animals, rattlesnakes, stuff like that. Uh, oh, our giveaway up here on the wall. It's still, it's got, still got May. Got one more week. Yes, last week. Get in your picture of your U.S. ARC membership. Just a little screenshot. Post it onto the post that I have on our Facebook page. It's pinned there at the top. And you're entered in for the giveaway for this amazing chameleon mandala from our friends over at Crafty Gargoyle. You should definitely check them out on Facebook, Crafty Gargoyle, to see what they make. I'm always amazed every time that uh, Talina posts something new. But they have all kinds of stuff. They don't just have the mandalas. And, oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, they have other things. I, I mean, Joe these those, are absolutely gorgeous. I bought but... Joe one of those things to roll die for uh, D&D, mm-hmm. even though she's never played D&D yet. What? 
She so wants to. I'm working on it. She really wants to, but the problem is her parents don't play it. Well, and her parents don't want to commit to a one-hour trip once a week. That, well, it's no, I don't want to do that either. Anyways, they make a lot of stuff. I'm working on it. Check out Crafty Gargoyle. Uh, oh, other huge news on Posted this week, and I'm super excited about it. We are partnering up with VivTech. As much as we talk about VivTech on every episode, I love their light bulbs. Um, I love their UV meter. Everything they do, they're amazing. But if you're buying a light bulb or a UV meter or the little snake bags, whatever they have, you can use the promo code GUMBO22 for 15% off your purchase. So, And that qualifies for us, too, since the hosts never qualify for anything. That's true. We can actually use it. <laughs> this makes me very happy because I've already sent the code to several people who are very excited about it. So some of them who have been thinking about trying VivTech bulbs but haven't made the leap yet. And so I'm like, here's your code. Go get them. It's, they're awesome. It, it's a no-brainer once you actually do the math on a VivTech bulb oh, versus yeah. everything else. Yeah. Um, I had somebody. We, we worked a reptile show this weekend. And... I was talking to somebody about their bearded dragon, and they had a ceramic heat emitter and a um, big heat lamp that mm-hmm. gives off the UV. I can't remember what it's called. The solar. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I told them, like, get the UV. The UV bulb, the LED UV bulb doesn't put off heat. You can still use your ceramic heat emitter for heat. Um, it'll last four plus years. So it's a no brainer. Go use the uh, Gumbo 22, is the promo code for that. Gumbo 22. All right. So let's get to our guests. So they kind of have to keep sitting there because we were forever. Because my computer didn't like me. I'm going to bring him in. There he is, Mr. Zach Lofen. How's it going? Going well. So Can't complain. Z- I'll let Zach, you explain what you do, and then we'll get into everything else. But it's I've always found it super interesting, and I'm upset that it didn't exist when I went to school. No, okay. Um, so I'm Dr. Zach. Some people call me. Um, uh, I'm the chair of a a biology department at the university that I teach at West Liberty university. We have two departments. We have biomedical sciences, which I don't do. And then the fun stuff, which is ecology, evolution, organismal biology, and zoo science. And so the thing that brought me back to herpetoculture, I did herpetoculture, literally, I didn't call it herpetoculture, but I kept snakes and lizards and frogs, all those, all of our animals that we love. Um, all through high school and college, uh, went to graduate school and got buried with responsibilities there and kind of got away from herpetoculture. Then we started the zoo science major here at West Liberty in 2016. I initially was not supposed to be the guy in charge of it. <laughs> and uh, the guy who was supposed to be in charge of it was so good at his job that he got offered a directorship at a zoo. And um, it... <laughs> You, you, he could either stay at the university and make some money or be the director of a zoo and make a lot of money. So he bounced there. And then I was told, you're the guy in charge of this major. So I did a nosedive into herpetoculture. What was that? Six years ago and literally have loved every second of it. Uh, and so I here at the university, um, I oversee the zoo science major. The zoo science major is a major for undergraduates that prepares people to work in animal husbandry. Um, and while we say ZUSI, this degree helps you get a job with fish and wildlife with, um, repatriation efforts and, and, you know, all the science behind that. And then as far as the zoo world's concerned, uh, I know that both of you have zoo experience, um, and being an introductory keeper is one job. Um, but if you want to be a lead keeper, assistant curator, curator, you kind of need, some academics backing you. So yeah. 
Um, this degree is kind of suited to get people a lot of experience while they're getting their college degree. So when they get hired, they can get to those positions that pay better to well um, faster. Uh, and then uh, so so we do that in, in prepping for the major. We wanted to be the Zeusai program that had the animals on site. So I kind of have a dream job where I was literally told build a reptile and amphibian collection. That is so and cool. And I was given a budget and I kind of like Went jaw over. dropped at the budget. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yes. I was yeah. hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, so I, I basically initially, and everybody knows this, I got all the animals I wanted when I was 19. Um, the, the second thing that we purchased was a water monitor because I knew that I could build and we just finished building it a um, 15 by 15 by 10 foot oh, cage yeah. enclosure for it. So you uh, live in everybody's dream, man. No yeah. kidding. So, um, uh, but currently we have over 400 animals here at the school. Wow. Jeez. We've purchased everything in replicate because we don't just have animals to have them. They're here to teach the students how to do animal husbandry, how to use um, a program similar to something called Zims. If people know what that is in the zoo world, we use something called animal care software, but it's modeled off of that. Um, and then we have all these animals in replicate because the other thing that we have is there's a handful of ZooSci programs for undergraduates, but we are the only ZooSci um, graduate degree on planet earth. And so wow. that means we have to do master's theses and that requires research and you can't just study one snake you need like 30 snakes so we have certain taxa that we've basically taken on to be models for herpetoculture so we have like more corn snakes than you can shake a stick at lots of western hogs or plains hogs i saw you got eggs um, the other day from black pines yes the, we have a bunch of pitch ophis and uh, the loading eye are part of that colony um and uh, basically, uh, you come here to do your master's degree, you're going to be doing herpetoculture with other people's animals because they're the animals that I'm taking care of. And then my favorite animals are false water cobras. Uh, we and we you can't have 30 false water cobras. That's a nine foot yeah. colubroid. That's enormous. But we do have 15 of them. <laughs> so <laughs> I just want one. And, just yeah. one. <laughs> so uh, we've got giant cages or enclosures and um we're publishing papers and, and basically trying to take herpetoculture um and and get it some professional respect is what in academic circles that's one of the things that i'm i'm big on and you know i have my fancy phd and everything but i try to be as down to earth as i possibly i do want to say so, i was almost you positive go. you were a doctor and i went and looked for it and it says professor everywhere. And I'm like, fuck, I'm pretty sure he's a doctor. So I didn't put it on no. anything because I make fun of Travis every time I have him on anything. To make but sure. yeah, you don't make fun of Warren Booth. Because well, he's Warren Booth. But I, I do call Warren a doctor. Yeah. No. I, it People make a bigger – I mean, it's a pain in the ass to get. I was about to say, the fact that it is as difficult as it is to get, you better believe if I ever do that, every person out there is referring yes. to me as doctor. Oh, I will be one of those dicks. And I've met plenty of them that, like, <laughs> if you don't say doctor, they get really upset. Yeah. You no, know, I'm, not, I'm not that guy. <laughs> I actually prefer professor to, to doctor because I think it's it's more in line with, with my way of being because I'm a teacher first and a 
Professor Second. So. I just picture those assholes are the ones like if you're on a plane and someone's sick and like we need a doctor and they say yep. I'm a doctor and they go great you know, oh I'm not that kind of doctor but they have to tell yeah, people no. they're a doctor. No, I'm not that guy. <laughs> so anyway, but so, no that so that's kind of the the lowdown and the thing that's really weird about my world is I have two loves um, biologically. Uh, herps have always been there like since I was little. And when I went to get my master's degree, uh, that was in the early 2000s, and that's when Steve Irwin and Jeff Corwin and Mark O'Shea and everybody was on Animal Planet. And it was a really weird time in herpetology academically because there were a lot of people getting graduate degrees to study snakes. Yeah. And um, I realized that at that time I was not getting a doctorate. I was going to get my master's and go be a field biologist and be happy. Uh, and my advisor very serendipitously told me that you should find an animal that no one studies and be the guy. Um, and so that's where the crayfish came into play. And so I do, I get to study both the animals that I love to death and they're about as different from each other as you can possibly get. But you can always... I am from the North, like the North. So I say crayfish. It's okay. We I won't hold it against you. <laughs> it's crawfish down there. I cringed a little bit. I won't lie. I totally <laughs> cringed no, cringe when you said it. <laughs> I haven't heard somebody refer to them as crayfish in a very long time. Yes. I understand <laughs> that in East Texas and Louisiana, that's like almost, or it is committing a sin. Yeah, <laughs> it's sacrilege, no doubt. But yeah. I, I also like, I, I guess because I've never studied them from the scientific, like I just eat them. I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, I eat them too. Yeah, well, there you go. So I was like, well, maybe there's like a different tight oh there's tons well no but like the kind that we eat, we eat on red. a regular basis and like versus the other like yeah we eat the red one so i was like maybe that's why it's crawfish yeah. or crayfish or oh, that sounded no. dirty <laughs> there's actually there's so the way that their names work it's kind of interesting um there's no convention on on common names you can you can call it the rainbow purple spotted twiddle twat if you want to and that's now that's like how the name bird i need to write no, that that's, down that's totally how the name birds like <laughs> on something that's not yeah. school if, if you ever look at bird common names that's a bunch of horny motherfuckers that name birds yeah totally um but uh you still kind of have to like that's what you're taught in school and everything but you you they do have groups of nerds like me that sit around tables and kind of make lists and publish them and say this is the suggested common name for these animals and crayfish have had that. And ironically, there are not many that have crawfish as the official name, but one of them lives here with me. It's, um, it's, it, it's an all blue animal that lives in a burrow. Um, it doesn't live in the Creek. Uh, and it's, it's technically it's common name. If you go by the list is blue crawfish, but it's nowhere near the Gulf coast. Gotcha. It's like up here in Northern uh, Appalachia. So when you, crazy. Get down, you get down to where you are. All of those animals are crayfish, which is interesting. So. That really bothers me. Crayfish. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Really <laughs> what? You know what else bothers me? Pecan versus pecan. It's not pecan. Yeah. Okay. It's never pecan. And that 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 right there, it's the further towards Georgia you go. It is it's pecan. It is pecan. And it's not then pecan. the the further it is away pecan. from Georgia. It's not pecan. It is pecan. No, it's pecan. It's pecan. Well, you're wrong. All right, so For you've been another... wrong on two things tonight. Great. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I keep coming back. Well, let's see if, let's see if Zach has... Do you say pop or soda? Uh, pop. Oh, fuck. He is from the... Uh, I'll say he said he was... 
Yeah, but I was hoping he I mean, would. That that hurts. But he's in West Virginia, yeah. and that's kind of south-ish. Soda. So West Virginia, no one knows we exist. For the record, you say you're from West Virginia, then people tell you they know people in Richmond, and then you just kind of stare at them. <laughs> I know people Virginia. in Martinsburg. Does that count? Yeah, that's that's West Virginia. Yeah. Um, but the two panhandles uh, are we have our own dialect, and then there's like the middle part of the state, and they have their own dialect. And I'm here in the northern panhandle, which is sandwiched between Ohio and Pennsylvania. So, oh, yeah, it's north. That's north. Uh, yeah. But it's weird because you drive literally 35 minutes south from where I'm sitting, and that's where the twang shows up. Yeah, you get closer like, to Virginia because Virginia's south. Well, yeah, so. when, yeah, when you get down there in down southern in the mountains. West Virginia, like Bluefield, which is just on the Virginia border, it's, it's thick down there. I've um, been through West Virginia once. Joe yeah. Quick. Uh, well, I didn't, well, I wasn't the one driving. We we were stationed at Fort Belvoir when I was a teenager. We drove from Washington D.C. to Washington State. Fuck that! It was Jeez. super fun. Holy cow! <laughs> you probably my, drove right by me. Um, might have. It was my head. one and only experience with West Virginia. It was very late at night. I was thoroughly creeped out by the by the gas station we were at, and I haven't wanted to go back since. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Dude, the only but I might I ever, give it another shot. <laughs> the only things I ever know about West Virginia are one, obviously John Denver. Obviously. And uh, two, how do my brain just go? Oh, shit. Wide receiver. Randy Moss. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I, didn't know I just, going with I just think about how, like, yeah. y'all y'all are just quiet up there doing your own thing. You're not making the news for for anything and we're in the news every day they're making local <laughs> news they're not making well they're making local no. news but it's not like you know florida man strikes again or something like that you know we have a we have a reputation that, that i'm not going to say that there aren't parts of west virginia that are just are not deserving of our reputation there's some banjo music up there Legit. So there are definitely they, states that are wilder than ours so go I'll, along I'll, with I'll probably that. some of the jokes that you know yes. people have been telling for a very long time mm-hmm. yeah yeah so anyway, so but yeah, that's it. <clears throat> so the it's very interesting that you have the program for the zoo side because I know as someone who worked at a zoo that the hardest part about getting a job at a zoo is getting experience at a zoo. It's a weird yes. fucking system. Like we won't hire you unless you have experience. Okay, that's mm-hmm. great. You have a chance to get experience unless you have a job. It's like the credit and score so debacle. It's it's very hard. And so with this program, at least they can go in to go look, apply for a job. I've got all of this experience, and you yeah. didn't have to go try and you know, be slave labor at some zoo as a volunteer yeah. for forever. Yeah. And, and we have an AZA zoo that's right down the road. It's very small. It's one of the smallest in the country. That's the one that Joe went to, but it's AZA. Um, and we have it arranged where the students can actually go there, uh, intern during the semester and they can spend literally as much time as they want. So it's built into our degree. When you graduate, you walk out with 2000 hours of AZA experience that's and that's like the magic wow. number that you need to go into a job normally. And then we also have built into the degree. They don't have to do one internship. We make them do two. Oh, so, cool. um, and you can do an internship at Ogilvy, which is eight minutes, sorry, about 12 minutes down the road. So um, during the semester. So no matter what, we just hammer the AZA hours like this that is you're right that's the number one issue and we've come up with a way to deal with that and it's funny because the grad degree we thought the grad degree was gonna we made it so it's totally online you can do it anywhere in the country um and the idea was that we were gonna have all these keepers that were gonna want to do this get their master's degree so they can then level up 
into like assistant curator or lead keeper or even curator. And it turns out that that's not happening because if you got if you have this job in the zoo and you can figure out how to survive financially, um, you a may not be able to afford the graduate degree. I had a zoo tell me that once when I interviewed. They're, they're talking about pay. And they're like, well, our keepers find a way to make it. Like, no, I'm yeah. good. <laughs> or um, you you love your job and you're, you, you figured out a way to exist and you're just going to stick with it. So what we get a lot of are actually people who like their junior, senior year of undergrad, they went off and they had to do an internship for their biology program. And they're just like, well, I'll go do one in a zoo. And then they end up finding out that they love that. But now they can't get a job because they don't have any experience. So we have this graduate opportunity for people um, so that they are able, but we help them find internship placement with that. Cause we have a lot of relationships with a lot of different zoos um, and uh, they end up doing the master's thesis. And uh, there's three of us that advise and I obviously do the herp stuff. So anybody that does this with me is going to be doing a reptile or amphibian based thesis. I say that, but I, I have a student who was just in Costa Rica studying sloths and I'm advising her too. So if somebody has an animal that like, I like, I'll totally bounce to it. (laughs) Something that's kind of, you know, uh, cool about, about this whole system and it's working. I mean, one of the nice things about, I can say this and it's not, it's a fact, it's not a plug. Every single person that has gone for the master's degree is employed in a zoo now. Like we, we don't have that, (laughs) that rate of, um, our MS in biology, the normal master's degree that people get, the thing that I have, uh, we have a couple of the people that have graduated and don't have jobs, but the MS in zoo science, the people are getting jobs. Like AZA definitely is noticing that and they're getting decent jobs at some of the union zoos and other zoos that have like really solid salaries. So, That's awesome. I uh, yeah, I used to have to drive, as my senior year of college, I'd drive an hour about an hour hour and a half away like two or three times a week just to go volunteer at a zoo all day long just mm-hmm. so i had some experience um yeah. and then i kind of looked into my job because i applied to every zoo in the southeast throughout all of florida georgia mississippi alabama louisiana i may have gotten into texas actually and it was the zoo in alexandria louisiana was the only one that well i'll tell you that there was one other that replied and it was in an expensive part of florida and that was the one that told me they'd say their keepers find a way to make it <laughs> Like great. sometimes they be roomed together. I was like, that's not what I fucking want. Yeah. I don't. No. No thanks. Yeah, I got you. But uh, I know there's a there's a place in Florida, isn't there? That does also does. Santa Fe. Yeah. Yep. They they have an associate's degree, a two year degree. Yeah. Um, and we we have had a couple people get that degree, and then they bounce to us to get the four year degree. So there's a way now in the zoo world where you can get an associate's, a bachelor's, and a master's all in zoo. Uh, that exists. That's awesome. So did not exist for me when I was, but a lot of people talk about the pay with zoos and you know, that's totally a thing. I'm not denying that that isn't a thing. Uh, But it, the thing about zoos is that you, if you want to go and that you want that to be your world, you have to be willing to bounce around the country and be be a nomad till you land at the right zoo that has the right salary. And your salary goes up with the experience you have. Um, and when you get out of that keeper state and get up into lead keeper, assistant curator, curator, that's when you're making yeah. a decent chunk of change. And that was my problem. Like the, the two the two careers that I am best for are two of the hardest jobs to get into. One is zookeeping, and the other is like 
like field biologists, like like wildlife yeah. fisheries jobs. Because mm-hmm. if any of those jobs ever open, there's like a million people applying to them. Oh yeah, they're super. And if you don't know somebody, it's very hard. Yep. Yeah. Um, yes, I agree with that. Hundred <laughs> percent. When I when I left the second time I tried to be, be a zookeeper, I I was soul crushed because I got down to me and one other person for the job at a zoo that I had wanted to work at since the first time I'd ever gone there. And I remember like my dad came to visit like when I was waiting for the call. We were like we played golf so I could try to take my mind off of it. And they got a phone call while we were on the golf course that I didn't get it. Fucking yeah. miserable the rest of the day. But it's it's a rough it's a rough feel. But it is I do miss it. I miss I miss working with crocs. I miss working with venomous snakes. I miss my giant tortoises. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't miss 110 degrees with 100 percent humidity in the middle of summer. You also don't miss that goose. No, that sounds like fun. And spurwing geese can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking goose. Yeah. I hate waterfowl. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I was a zookeeper in college, um, and we had tundra swans. And the tundra swans made a nest at the end of the freaking boardwalk. Like, literally, you walked off the boardwalk into a nest of tundra swans. <laughs> uh, and if you were less than four feet tall, they were convinced they could kill you, and they tried. So, um, I had, uh, in my tortoise yard, we had a uh, Aldabras and Galops and one big tortoise yard together, and I had Egyptian geese, and they were fucking wonderful. Uh, the first time I, that was the first time I realized that they sound exactly like velociraptors. Well, they sound like the Jurassic Park version of velociraptors. I was cleaning tortoises, and all of a sudden, I was like, "It's a fucking velociraptor." <laughs> and then I realized it was a goose, and then I was great. World, it was a wonderful world. Everybody in that yard was happy. And then my director told me one day we were going to move them and give me the spur winkies. I'm like, "What the fuck? What did I do?" <laughs> and so, of course, gives me, that thing will come running from across the yard to kill you. <laughs> and uh, no lie, no lie. I, I, I oh missed it. It was my day off. The the keeper filling in for me on my day off. She was walking around the edge of the pool, and that thing fucking came at her face and knocked her into the pool. Um, so I built a cage. Did nobody warn her? Oh, she knew, but she had her handful of tortoise tray, like the pans and everything. Yeah. It couldn't it was too late. The thing. Was, if you knew oh. our our old zoo director, though, he he passed away a he few told, years back. Um, his favorite line. Because well, I, I said, hey, can I build a cage to put around him? So when I walk in there, I just throw the cage on him, do what I got to do. I let it out. He goes, no, no one's ever been killed by a goose. I was it like, didn't matter what you were talking about. That was his line. No one's ever been killed by So we just, we just finally got to like, no one's ever been killed by a tiger. No yeah. one's ever been killed by a lion. Like, yeah. But I was, was like, ridiculous. I thought it was like, no one's ever been killed by a paper cup, but it fucking hurts. I yeah. mean, nobody was ever killed by a bear until they were. <laughs> yes, but that was the best ending to a movie ever. Did you ever watch that documentary? No. Yeah, I did. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know the one. Oh, it's the best <laughs> ending to a movie mm-hmm. ever. I think you've told me about this it's, before. So it's, it's a, it's a, I use the word documentary loosely because he's a he was a yeah. failed actor and he's a fucking idiot. Um, was it Grizzly Man or something like that? Oh, Man. yeah. yeah. And, oh, I've heard of it, like, but I've never actually seen it. He's always, anyways, by the end, you're like, God, I wish these fucking bears would eat him. And then the last scene, they pause it and they point to a little spot in the background. And like 15 minutes later, he and his girlfriend were killed by bears. You're like, yes. Best ending to a movie ever. Excellent. It is great. Trust me, you're confused right now, but I'm telling you, if you get through the movie, you'll want him dead. Mm-hmm. All right. And it happens. I guess I will be watching it tomorrow while I'm supposed to be working. You should definitely watch it. <laughs> but uh, anyways, so I ended up having a cage for that fucking goose, and people would walk by while I'm cleaning the tortoise yard. They go, oh, that poor bird. I'm like, fuck off, people. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing poor about that bird. Uh, but yes, I do. I do miss stuff. I I miss a lot of that stuff, but man, teachers here make too much money. Yeah, we do. And and I get the summer off. I'm not outside during the summer. Yeah, we do. So 
I would like the two and a half. Off. Two and a half. I need to get one of those jobs at Stop a zoo bragging. where everything is inside of a building. <laughs> you don't know how bad I need sleep right now. Like I'm sitting here doing schoolwork and we have two and a half days left. No, my wife is doing that last night. Her last, she's a high school teacher. Her last day is tomorrow. My last day is Friday. Friday. Yeah. And I just stay away from her. Like the, the I know my parents were high school teachers too. And I just remember like that last week of school and I'm a professor, so I've got it during finals week, but like you get to the, like the last 96 hours feels like a month and a half because that's when everybody's tweaking and losing their yes. crap and extra credit. And what you want to just like, I'm, I'm not, yeah. this isn't therapy. So I'm going to shut up. This afternoon we, he always gets home before we do. Cause he gets out before us. And normally he's like stretched out on the couch or he's like in the bathroom or something like that. But but today, Not normally in the bath, that's a weird way. Sometimes to say you it. are <laughs> just hanging out in the you're bathroom. You're having your YouTube time, okay? It is YouTube. You're time. having your YouTube time. <laughs> um, our listeners know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> but he was in the bed, and I'm like, so I guess we're not going to go to the library today. And of course, then I'm I like, got, I got home to change out of work clothes, and the bed was there. It looked comfy. <laughs> So I laid down. So then I got home and did the same thing. And our our 11-year-old takes the dogs out to feed and water them because that's her chore. And then she goes, I'm going to close your door. Yeah, that was all she wrote after that. Like, we both <laughs> fell asleep. Yep. And she's, like, bending for herself, scavenging in the kitchen <laughs> for food. Like, she knows. She knows what it's like to be a two-teacher a two parent household. So Lord. I think it's funny. I want to talk about, like, like college. I've got... A lot of kids that plan on going to college, but I've had like I hate when I get like smart kids who are lazy. And I try to always mm-hmm. tell them all the time, like, that's not going to work when you get to college. And I also tell my kids all the time, if you plan on going to college, you need to understand something your college professors don't have to care about you. Like, <laughs> you paid to be there, they got yeah. the money, they're not going to hunt you down to turn in this one thing so you can try to get out of here and graduate. Like, that's I need you to yeah. figure out that shit now before you get to college. when... They don't care because you're one of however thousands of many kids. No, but I have had some college professors who seemed to forget the fact that I'm the one paying to be there, not the other way around. It doesn't matter. You're not a real person. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. I got kicked out of classes multiple times in college. You know you can do that? Can, you really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same professor. And he still liked <laughs> you, me. I don't know. He absolutely loved he you. Liked and me, you were but he such kicked me a out shit. So many, so many times. I've never been kicked out. He kicked me out for wearing he, a hat. Like he would just like look at him and just like point to the door. Like there wasn't even verbal at like towards the end of the, sem- the semester. He great. would just like point to the door and James knew to get up and leave. I still no. pass his class. We're good. Oh my God. Anyways. Oh, so. But okay. the Liberty's a little different though because we're a small school. Yeah. We only have 2,500 kids. Oh, so I can have really less kids than my, my kids. high school. I was just about to say the high schools here are bigger than that. That's, yeah, no. So I. um. Like, I stalk them down if they miss my class. I'm that guy. Uh, we I we have Slack, that messaging service, and I'll message them like, yo, where the hell are you? And then they come up. Because you can cuss um, at college kids. Yeah, and I, I never cuss at them at all. Of course not. I never cuss at my high school kids either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not when there's other adults around. I, I can be motivating. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Oh, all right. So one thing I wanted to ask you. Yep. As a reptile person and a crawfish person, it's very weird. As a reptile person, when I worked at the zoo, especially in fucking Louisiana, uh, everyone wants to eat your animals and they're going to tell you exactly how they would cook them. But whereas ah. a crawfish person, we all eat like that's, that's it's a known food source. 
So like, it's got to be a weird thing where you're like, I study this, and then everyone's, everyone wants to tell you about how much they like eating them. But how often do they eat them up where you are? Um, nowhere near what they do down where you're at. Yeah. But the, 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 this is my like dirty secret, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not just saying this. This is honest to God's truth. My favorite food on planet Earth is Cajun food. So oh, yeah. when I come down that way, like andouille sausage and etouffee and gumbo and you know all that stuff. Let me tell you, it's my absolute favorite. So I've eaten literally thousands of crayfish. I and, uh, I hate yeah, Louisiana. No. I hate Louisiana. I have driven through that. My my family is from Florida. How can you hate Louisiana? Florida is way I worse. I've driven through. Oh, I didn't say I liked Florida. Oh, okay, just make sure. <laughs> no, I didn't say I liked Florida. I like visiting Florida. I don't want to live That's there. That's like the number one state I would never live in. But I, I, I don't, I don't like Louisiana. But one thing that they have done very, very well, they got, they got everybody beat on the food. I miss the food. Yeah, they do it. 100%. They do it so well. It's so good. Well, it's really annoying when you go like, like here, and they're like, "This is Cajun food." No, it's not. Stop that. And you'll no. eat it. And like that's. It's different. It's not Cajun. It's food. not the no. same. Different. Yeah. It's it's just not the same. It's like going to a Tex-Mex restaurant and being like, I love authentic Mexican food. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. That's why I haven't found a good place around here that I like yet. You got to go to that taco truck I told you about. Oh, it is literally yeah. right there by the school. You had messaged me when I only it's had like 10 so minutes left good. on my break so I couldn't go. <laughs> you don't need, you don't, it's helpful if you know Spanish, but you don't have to. Just point yeah. at a number. Oh, I, that's all I do when I go into it's the gas so station to get tacos. Good. Like, I, the sweet lady there knows me now because I go like once a week and I just point to what I want and hold up how many I want. You will that's have it. dreams about the <laughs> barbacoa. I don't for even days. know what I'm eating half the time. I think it's chicken. <laughs> I think it's pork. I don't actually know. Yeah, no. But it's good. But they used to my thing. My thing is Suzuki, bro. I'd always get like, especially because I have alligator snapping turtles, I get told all the time about people won't eat yeah. them. Yeah. I actually yep. even, people eat a lot of turtles up here, but the thing about the turtles is I love the turtles. Snapping turtles are my favorite turtle on planet Earth. Um, and I, I've, I've read the papers and, and, and everything about bioaccumulation, magnification. Like you eat a 30-year-old snapping turtle up here. They call the Upper Ohio Valley where I live the Chemical Valley. Um, and they, they'll, the EPA will do that thing where they can say, you can eat this much turtle in a year. <laughs> that and always it, worries me. Yeah, it came out to like 12 grams. Which is not even a mouthful. Just selling drugs at that point. Here that are like eat, that yeah, they're catching two or three snappers in a day, and then it's their annual dosing of the family of mercury um, with the turtle suit. So, like, yeah. you get your sliver of turtle. You get your sliver yes. of turtle. So, do you uh, like the so common I, I, snapper? I yeah. Uh huh. I mean, I'm an alligator snapper alligator girl. Snapper's awesome. But um. Common snappers. I've had common. I have one that I've I've had since 1999. I got her. I actually bought her at a food um, market in Pittsburgh, where they were selling them as farm raised snapping turtles, so that you could get them without the chemicals. And I thought, well, crap, you're coming home with me. Um, and I've had her ever since. And now she's part of the Zeus Life program. So. That's so fabulous. Now Zach's like, if, yeah. if times ever get rough, I've got this mercury free turtle. Yeah, there you go. I have yeah. never, I've never seen turtles sold at a food market. Go to Asian. As I was say, go to an Asian I, food no, market. No, I, I have. I, I shop at H Mart. I've never seen them sell turtles. That's why, that's why, like every turtle in Asia is endangered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they eat them all, and then they come here and they get all of ours and yeah, eat all of them. Surprise me! I've just, I've never. Unless maybe I just haven't paid attention. They're going down the turtle aisle. Maybe I'm just not paying attention. Well, so 
I and then this may be different from what you you've seen or what you saw or how they do it in Pittsburgh, but I know like some of the Asian markets that I've seen you it's kind of like when you go pick out your lobster. Yeah. You mm-hmm. would go pick out your turtle I've and seen, then I've like the, they the would duck. take care of it in the back for you even. Yeah. Yeah, they like I see the yep, gooey, the that's gooey exactly ducks. what it was. They had one and it was like $2 a pound and it wasn't even a pound. Um, and I was like, well, you're not getting eaten today. So I just bought it and it became my pet. And then were they confused when you didn't want them to cut it up for you? Yeah. I, I just <laughs> grabbed it and I like pointed to a bag and they put it in a brown paper bag. Now I will say one thing, walking around with a freaking snapping turtle and a brown paper bag that's not dead. Let me, that's not wise. Let me it tell got out of the bag almost instantly. Tell me how that works out. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. It's in a place called the strip district in, in Pittsburgh. But they've stopped doing that, uh, but they did it. This was in 99. That's how old the turtle is. Um, so, uh, but, but yeah, no, she's, yeah, we named her Guinevere. She's up, she's above me right now in the room above me. So, <laughs> Will, anyway. Will McCready said they have a place a couple of miles from him that sells them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Darren Watson says gas station tacos. I don't know if he means that negative or not, because in Texas, gas station tacos are good. I well, I mean it. It, it depends, depends on, the gas, on the gas station. But it's like it's like when I tell people in Louisiana, the, and you the might best... be getting a little something extra with I it mean, that you weren't counting on, but it might be worth it. Fine. When I get in line and no one else in line can speak English because mm-hmm. they're all you know construction you know workers be good. or. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, look, I'm cool. Well, it's like I tell folks, I smile in, and wave, and they're nice to me. In Louisiana, the best food is at gas stations. Oh, without a doubt. Asmer and I, we always go looking for, of course, I mean, he's foreign anyway, so it, he just kind of blends in wherever Darren we go. said he opened a bin at but... an Asian market and it was full of frogs. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> oh. Anyways, let's, uh, let's get to our question. Uh, this, sure. question this question came from you. Uh, I had you give me a question. We got a lot of responses, and uh, it'll be very interesting because I had some some things that I want to talk about with it. But the question is, how important is enrichment in snake enclosures and what types of enrichment could you give a snake? Um, and of course, everyone that replied kind of is on the side of yes. So we'll go through these and then we'll discuss it. Um, and we'll talk about how much of a horrible person I am. Cause I don't give my snake shit. Uh, <laughs> Melissa said I put sticks and rocks in with mine. My arboreal animals all have fake plants as well. Um, that's not bad. Uh, Drew, so this is Drew at the Learning Zoo. So this is, he has a small private zoo north of Houston. He's a friend of ours. Um, I believe it definitely improves the quality of life and has a huge potential to improve their physical health as well as their responses to stressors. Lots of possibilities with scent trails, puzzle feeders, bedding from prey species, uh, and novel climbing or hiding opportunities are all easy and really interesting to watch them use, which I agree, especially in in his situation he's using for a zoo. So, I mean, you're not going to throw him in a tub in a zoo and go, hey, look at this. Snake in a tub. Um, Cynthia, Cynthia said, I think it depends on the snake, which I agree. She said, a ball, I agree with part of this. A ball python doesn't necessarily need or use enrichment items the same way that a rat snake might. Perfectly comfortable and confident in keeping my ball pythons on simple rack enclosures, but my bull snake has a far larger enclosure with large natural hides, deeper substrate, and plants. I'm sure he could benefit from additional enrichment of some sort, seeing as he's extremely active each morning and very attentive to what's going on around him. So you have a Louisiana pine snake and one night you came through and you were telling me, Hey, I fed him different tonight. And you had taken 
a smaller food source. Every now and then I'll feed him like a handful of things. But you like put them randomly around so he had to like go find them because you feed frozen thawed. Yeah, because they're nest raiders. Right. And so so, you like set it up so he had to go in and like raid the nest to eat everything. I was there one night for my little guy for the smaller pines. They just put, put a bunch of pinkies in a bowl and it just... Ate them out of the bowl. That's hilarious. Although he has, Zach has false water cobras and they're kind of the same yeah. thing. They'll eat off of a plate. Oh, how funny. My hog nose does. He, he, well, he, he won't eat off of tongs. It scares him if you try to tongue feed him. He's, he's not brave, but yeah, he eats like, off plate. Like falsies or like, um, any of the dry mark on stuff are known mm-hmm. for just like, like, go to the Asia market and fucking just pick up anything and, mm-hmm. and feed it to him. Yeah. Which I'm sure you've done that with those guys. You've probably tried frog legs and fish and rodents. Yeah, and... no, I've had that. I have had false water cobras try to eat the feeding tongs in my office because <laughs> there was residual rat stank on them or something. And they and, and they like chewed on them, and then stopped and looked, and then looked and looked and looked and looked and looked, and then slithered away. Sounds so, like my king snakes. Yeah, there's some that well, the pine snakes. I like think there's some that are uh, the. Well, I always shit on ball pythons, but they're fucking boring, and, and they don't do that. Ball pythons just like they're fucking lump, but something like that, or like the pine snakes or active hunters, mm-hmm. you can see like when you go to feed them, they're looking for stuff. So like when I open my my pine snake bin, if if I'm like I'll throw food in there, and if he doesn't get it, I have to freeze because if I move, he's coming at me. Mm-hmm. Like without food, he's fine. He's he's yeah. a puppy dog, but he'll come out and like so I have to freeze until he finally finds the food and he's not paying attention to me, and then I can close the the drawer uh he's his feed response is insane <laughs> that's like the other day i went to take my mexican black king snake out because lily and alana were here and lily gave it gave it to me so i was like look how much she's grown and he was like you better be careful just reaching on in there like that because i just scooped up her little toilet paper tube that she likes to hang out in and dumped yeah, her and out you, in my well, hand you first shoved your finger in the toilet paper tube i'm like well, that's probably not head a great was on the other side it was fine they can turn around quick but james was she's very aggressive when he because he feeds her yeah. Of course, I don't feed any of my stuff. She's but, not, she's a crap, she doesn't eat off the tongs. I have to throw food in there. But like, if I open it to put food in there, she like spazzes out. out and, yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. I'm like, she's never once done that with me. Because you're not feeding her. You're opening her at a different time. Yeah, it's great. I'm only ever opening it when I have food. Uh, <laughs> Will McCready was in the chat said, test their problem solving skills. And then he posted a picture of a hamster and a hamster ball. <laughs> that, that could be interesting. <laughs> But going through mostly basically the same thing, talking about the same kind of thing, and and I agree with a lot of it. Uh, the different types of enrichment, I think, depends on the animals. But I know y'all are doing a lot more up there because you're actually studying, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. assuming behavior and everything with them as well. Um, I'm a horrible person, as the general public would say, because I use a rack system and I don't put anything in them. Uh, I know I could, I just don't. Um, but I do think that. One thing I saw that popped up over and over that does help is that for certain things, muscle tone is definitely something. If they have things to climb and move around, that could help. My my problem, and, and Zach, you can chime in on this one, is when people say it helps them uh, basically, feel, basically like, emotionally yeah. or feel like the better, better quality of life. Uh, because And then their argument will be because in the wild, they're doing all this stuff. But my argument is in the wild, they're doing all this stuff to find food, to find a mate, to find water, to find a, a safe place to live. We can't assume they're climbing a tree because it looked fun. Like, I understand rat snakes can basically climb. I mean, I know they can climb a straight wall. Mm-hmm. But we can't say they're doing it because they went, this looks fun. So I, I, I guess my argument there is, 
can we truly say it's a better quality of life because it's still in a box, still in whatever box you have it in. Is it a better quality of life because it can climb over this rock versus climb across a smooth surface? And so I guess, Zach, what, what is your opinion on, on that? Uh, my opinion on it is that people oversimplify what enrichment is. Um, I think that we have a tendency to apply mammalian yeah. enrichment strategies to snakes and things that we think the snake needs. Uh, and I think that way too often people, and then there's a reason why I chose snakes, because there's really no debate as to whether lizards need it or turtles need it. Very there's few different people thought keep process their those on newspaper. Like that doesn't happen. Yeah. So I, that's why I like to ask the question for snakes, but with, with snakes. Um, and the other thing is that the two is a very polarizing issue and there are definitely camps and the camps don't want to play with each other. They just want to rip each other to shreds. Uh, and that's also why I thought it would be fun to, you know, bring up that question. But what my perspective on it is, I think that it will help them. Um, do I think that the snakes are like happy and full of glee because they got to climb a tree and then work on a puzzle feeder? No. Do I think they have brain chemicals and, and enzymes and amino acids firing in the brain that they didn't have before that lower stress hormones that then make them feel okay when they have that rush of, okay, there's a mouse in here. There's a mouse in here. There's a mouse in here. I found it. Yes. I think that that is a benefit that's beneficial. Um, and I think that enrichment, if you're going from a purely biological perspective, a scientific academic perspective, the reason why it's an important thing, if it's done properly, is that you're going to be limiting stress. So we, we talk in the zoo world all the time about species appropriate behaviors, which is basically like what a species, what is, what an animal should do. The thing that drives me absolutely insane when it comes to this enrichment discussion is that there's this kind of hypothetical general snake out there that everybody thinks every snake fits. And that's not how this works. A hognose snake is a completely different animal than a king snake, which is a completely different animal than a boa constrictor, which is a completely different animal than a ball python, which is different from a sand boa, which is different from a false water cobra. So I think that when it comes to this enrichment deal with snakes it's important for people to kind of like do a little deep dive on the biology and the natural history of the animal and then try to do things that are those species appropriate behaviors and replicate those so like i know you keep samboas yeah if you let samboas burrow that's a species appropriate behavior so you are enriching their lives by keeping them in aspen like yeah that's you know that's the way it works but if you keep a false water cobra on Aspen, that's not really, I mean, it's a substrate. It's no different than keeping them on cypress mulch or pine or whatever, because they're slithering over top of it. They're not going down, you know, into it. And that's where racks have, like, racks are the redheaded stepchild of herpetoculture. And anybody that keeps their animals in racks surely is going straight to the bowels of hell. And there's nothing that good good could ever come out of a rack. If you, if you have a fossorial snake that lives underground and you're giving it substrate um you're 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 checking the box of enrichment for that now those snakes do bask and it's real hard to get a light in a rack 
we're actually working on that upstairs and have figured out how to provide basking spots in a tub, um, which has been really kind of interesting to watch how snakes react to that. But uh, yeah, yeah, so you're not getting all the species appropriate behaviors, but you're getting kind of the main one. Yeah. So then that becomes another fun question, which is like, is that good enough? Is that not good enough? And then the thing about racks, whether people like it or not, you, if we can call them a necessary evil, you have to have them. Like they're not going away. So my whole take on it is if they're not going away, why don't we figure out how to make them better than just, you know, put a hex on everybody that says they're using them because dirty little secret. I have racks <laughs> going <laughs> like, to hell. There I have, but I also have PVC enclosure. So, you know, I use them all. And during a, a snake's lifespan with me, it's going to grow up and be raised initially in a rack. It's the best, you know, it, it, to me, it's the best strategy. Can you raise them in an exo or an aquarium? Sure, I've done it. Um, right here is a little hognose snake that's lived in that little exo his entire life. Uh, but um, he grew slower than all the hognose snakes that we raised in tubs. So... You know, so when you take all the noise out and you just kind of look at it, that's what I like to do. And, and like another thing with enrichment. Uh, so if you thaw out mice, at the end of the day, you've got that kind of gross, tepid mouse tea, as I like to call it. Um, if you take that and it, you, you put a sponge in it or a paper towel and you kind of dribble it and make a trail over top of newspaper or over top of aspen or pine, You've just given that snake something that's going to keep it mentally engaged for a real long time. That's enrichment. You don't have to go and make a bioactive enclosure and plant ficus trees and, and everything. You you can like, should, should you do that? Sure. But, or could you do that? Yes. But there's lots of ways to add enrichment to your husbandry protocols. So... Mm -hmm. And that's what I agreed with, with some of these people that were talking about. It depends on the snake. You know, yes. I, I always argue with, I think for Samboas, it's a great way to keep them. They, they like to burrow. And yes, would they bask if they had a light? A hundred percent. I mean, they, they live out in the desert. There's a sun. They would definitely bask. But is it a hundred percent necessary? Not for keeping them and not for keeping 30 of them. I can't, I can't do 30 cages for, for Samboas, mm -hmm. especially, you know, you get 40, 50 babies at a time. I'm not going to have. 40 or 50 baby cages just doesn't make sense uh like my my louisiana pine snakes they live in a burrow the reason we can't find them in the wild is they live underground 99 percent of the time 100 so a, a tub is underground it's the same thing for them mm -hmm. but, and in another life i would have been like an animal behaviorist it's actually one of my favorite topics to talk about whether it's um mammals or reptiles now i will straight up say that my understanding of animal behavior in mammals definitely surpasses my understanding of animal behavior in reptiles, partly because I'm still fairly new to the hobby. I've only been in this for a few years. That's most people. Um, I mean, we're also mammals. It's, it's easier for us to have yeah, an idea. And, and also, too, I mean, just based off of the amount of information that's out there, we really don't. I mean, people have been keeping reptiles for a very long time, but we're only just recently beginning to understand, you know, how lizards and snakes and tortoises and whatnot, you know, how their, their behavior and, and moving towards, um, you know, talking about more enrichment for animals. Um, so I agree with, with everything that you said, you know, I keep a lot of arboreal species 
And the enrichment that I provide for my carpet pythons and my rat snakes is not going to be the same enrichment that I'm providing for my hognose or my bull snake because they live in very pretty different environments from one another. So, Well, if I had a green tree python or emerald tree, I'd feel bad leaping that in a rack. Their body's not made to lay flat on a surface. Oh, my rat snake would lose her freaking mind living in a rack. Yeah. Like she, I, she, yeah. she never, if, if she is on the ground level of her enclosure, it's because she's ready to eat or she's looking for some water. Otherwise she is, in fact, I'm at the point where I need to start upgrading her because she's, she likes to hang out along the lip of the enclosure, oh, yeah. except she's grown. She's too big. So she like falls off. She keeps falling <laughs> off. And I work in, in my reptile room is also my office. So I'll be sitting there working and I'll just hear this thump. <laughs> <laughs> And I look over and there she is. <laughs> we have our bearded dragon in our classroom. Her tank is right next to my small group table because I teach third grade. So I pull kids to work with me on, on individual activities. And she'll be up on her rock and all of a sudden we'll hear thud. <laughs> and it's her paws like scratching to get out of mm-hmm. the tank. And so I'll take her out and she'll sit on the table with us. And then she's perfectly content. To sit on the table. And then when we're done, I'll put her back. But like, it's only certain kids when they come to the table, like she has to be at the table with Mm -hmm. them. It's so bizarre. Snakes don't do that. Snakes Mm -hmm. don't. I, I don't think snakes interact with people the same way that lizards. It's like you Mm -hmm. said, enrichment for lizards, turtles, things like that are different from enrichment with snakes. And it's, but we, we do have snakes that do do that though here. So Mm -hmm. that's why the false water cobras are my favorite. Absolutely. And we, we and people are going to think I'm crazy, but I got the data and I'm writing a paper. And when it gets published, everyone can read it. And he's a doctor. <laughs> and he's a doctor. I'm very, very excited so about that. Before people tweak. So I have, um, they're, they're literally right there. The Dr. Zach said so. Yeah, are in my office. And I'm, tr- you know, I was a field biologist and I took animal behavior classes. So I was, I was taught how to observe things, document, blah, blah, blah. And I noticed that one of my big female breeders, who's lived her entire life in this room, uh, I would walk in the room and she would have this very stylized behavior where she would come out. She'd stick her head out and then do a real long tongue flick. Anybody walks in the room, she's they're very visual falsies. They can, anything moves, they're on it. They're just like a dry market. But I noticed like we got this long tongue flick. And what she would do is she'd stick her head out, long tongue flick, and then... If I came and sat in my chair, she'd get out and start cruising. And then it was creepy because I'm sitting here and I'm facing the snakes. And I would feel like I was being watched. And I would look up and this female's like, boom, just staring at me. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> something's going on. And she had absolutely made a total association that my, I, what I think it was, do I think she looked at it and was like, there's Zach. Happy day. No, I do not think that the snake did that at all. But her loves you. Her loves you you so much. Your your snake needs you to boop its snoot. Exactly. No, 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 no. What I think happened is I walk in. I have a very unique chemical signature to her. She picks up that odor, and they're so damn smart that she knows this this odor means that the next odor's coming, which are the rats. <laughs> that that weird monkey That's brings me food. So yeah. funny. That food monkey, like um, mm-hmm. Mike's monitor guy says all the time, he's bringing me, like the rodents are coming. And um, so that's all well and good. But what was kind of interesting is about two years ago, I started letting them just 
during the summertime when no one's in the building. If I did this during the semester, it'd be mayhem. But I would just <laughs> let her, she's so huge, she's an eight foot snake, that I would just let her go around my office and then up and down the hallway because I because I wanted her to have <laughs> as much room as possible. Oh my and God. She was doing this crazy thing where I would like go into the lab that's on this side of this wall. She has free reign. Next thing you know, here comes Gaia into the room. And then she's like underneath the table. And then I come back into my office. And about 10 minutes later, here comes Gaia back to the office. So and I was like, what, what I just the heard... hell is happening? It was like Nagini with Voldemort. <laughs> what? <laughs> what I just heard so, is Zach Loafman um... allows venomous snakes to roam his college. That's yeah. what I just heard. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, she oh only God. did it. She, she did that before she laid eggs. After she's laid eggs, that, that behavior has gone away. Um, I had... It was a boa that became a bitch after she had her first litter. Yeah. Really? So I don't know what happened with that, but do I think she's following me because she loves me? Absolutely not. <laughs> do I think that there could have been a positive association? Like wherever he goes, there's opportunity. Yeah. So I'm going to explore and see what that opportunity is today. Sure. And I think that that's where snakes get the short end of the stick. Uh, also, there are over 2,500 species of snake. And I will say this till I die. And every single one of them evolved differently from every other one. So falsies could do this, but a pastel yellow belly ball python is going to be a paperweight on my desk. Yes. hundred percent. I think a lot of people too, uh, there's there's this notion in the reptile community in general that reptiles are not smart. And... Granted, that may be true for some of them. Um, I'm convinced that crested geckos are only sharing one brain cell with the entire species. Um, yeah, their fucking tail falls off and doesn't grow back. They don't make but, sense. But they it's sense. it's it's not that reptiles are stupid. They're just not. They're not dogs. They're, they're not, not they're not cats. They're not birds. They're not people. They, said, they don't have the same kind of intelligence that we do or that a lot of people are used to working yeah. with. With that said, I would say if you're talking croc monitor or something like a large monitor that's a very intelligent animal Mm -hmm. like that's that's an animal that's thinking problem solving and it may be smarter than some people's dog like that is a they know what's going on but if you're asking me about my bearded dragon yeah probably not gonna be the head of the class see and and i don't necessarily know I don't necessarily know about that. I mean, I don't, I don't keep bearded dragons, but I feel like a lot of people, you know, they, they get these setups and I am not bashing simple setups at all, by the way. Um, so I don't want it to come off like that, but you see this a lot whenever, especially in, you know, in husbandry groups, you, you see people who they basically give their reptiles like the, their bare minimum. And they're like, this is what they need to survive. Well, surviving is great. I mean, if you're looking at it from the standpoint of like a human child, they need, you know, a roof over their head, they need food and water to to survive. But that doesn't mean that that animal is necessarily thriving. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that though, because with bearded dragons, I often see the opposite. I see where there's so much stuff given to the bearded dragon and often it's almost overstimulated in the tank. But are we talking like 
their natural environment well, they, kind nat- of they stuff, naturally we, have hammocks are we, are we talking about the barbie beds and the christmas decorations Al- australia's full with, of natural hammocks fireplaces lizard hammocks. <laughs> i can't put christmas decorations on my bearded tank in my classroom she's actually the only tank that doesn't get decorated yeah, she because she gets highly aggressive at yeah. the stickers yeah. on the outside of her tank yeah. so everybody else has a cute little stocking with their name on it because i teach babies in elementary school and they have ornaments that hang on our and classroom. And the beer dragon Christmas doesn't get street, a damn thing. And we pretend she's Jewish. It's all good. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just wonder, you know, if if more people, and I realize that I'm asking a lot here, but if more people, you know, studied the animals that they're keeping, if they actually studied how those animals are in the wild, what their natural environment looks like and provide them some of the things that they actually experience that they would interact with in the wild, how different that animal might react with them. They act completely different. So like two points to that. We, we did another, one of my master's students who just graduated two, three weeks ago and and her paper's been published. So you can go find this one. Um, she did target training with false water cobras. So we had, we had multiple clutches of falsies. We randomly chose like, I think it was eight to 10 from each clutch. And then she target trained them the way you would target train a cat in a zoo. So ball on stick, present target. She snake comes, touches it, is rewarded, blah, blah, blah. And uh, she worked with Lori. Serini, who yeah. does this with carpet pythons and everything, because I, I was like, I've got some experience. Lori's the master. We'll yeah, have we've had Lori on Lori. before. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but what was crazy is Michelle, uh, in her thesis defense, she flat out said, like, the water cobras drive me crazy. Because what was very interesting about the water cobras is they learn the targeting very quickly. And what we, we she tried to do, this is zoo stuff, um, is then shift it using the target from the tub into a holding box so it was like the snake's choice and what's very interesting is when we went to the second behavior the falsies were viewing getting out of their cage and having fun time explore time as the reward and they actually wanted to do that more than eat so then it ends up being a problem (laughs) because you, you can't get them to come to the target or do what you want because to them the reward is i get to explore and one of the things michelle did is she made we got this like tent that you get for rabbits or dogs or something it's like a mesh tent and through just a bunch of cardboard tubes and egg crates and plastic tubs and sphagnum moss and uh the snakes would would literally they would do the target because they knew they were going to that and then once they got into that we couldn't get them to do anything because that's what they wanted to do was use their brains and explore and that to me was like really telling because we the snake wanted to use its brain so you hear all the time that snakes are dumb snakes are instinctual we don't need to do that uh i think that we discredit these animals a lot but i'm not going to go the hippy dippy way that's the problem (laughs) is that you say that and then the next thing you know we're booping snoots and we've got you know monocles and all that and it loves me uh, because these are predators. Predators have mm-hmm. to outthink their prey. You can't yep. be a dumb predator and not go extinct. It doesn't work. So, uh, but it's the species appropriate behavior. So the thing with ball pythons and like blood pythons, I have a lot of short tail pythons. That's the python I like for some reason. Um, they're ambush predators. They sit on the forest floor, they get on a game trail, and they don't move. And I think people in 
we're mammals, we're active, we're up, we're engaging, we're moving around all the time. We see an animal that's sitting on the ground in a coil next to a trail and we apply to it. Well, that's derpy and dumb. In reality, there's an awful lot going on in that snake mind as a predator. Um, but because it doesn't move, we apply the, we, we assume that it's dumb. And with ball pythons, this is my ball python speech. So we haven't published this paper yet. And I so badly want to get like two weeks to write this paper and watch everybody's head explode. Um, <laughs> but we did uh, one of my other graduate students. We Now, it's a small sample size. It's four ball pythons. So it's not that many. But they're all from different lineages. We, we tried to make up for the fact we didn't have that many animals. And we had um, T25 animal plastic enclosures, the six foot long by three foot deep by 18 inch tall enclosures. And we had them build us dividers. And we had right in the middle, a big open um, port. And we had half the enclosure was newspaper, a hide, a water bowl. And then the other half of the enclosure was mulch, a hide, water bowl, cork tubes, and a vertical hide. Okay. And we put video cameras on these enclosures and uh, basically put the snakes in and we video recorded them for two months, three months. And I had a student watch every single second and do ethograms and figure out how are they using it. All the ball pythons, every single one of them went to the enriched side of the enclosure. And what was really interesting is at night, during the day, they were rocks. They didn't do anything. Okay. About an hour and a half after the lights went out, they were zooming around using the entire enclosure. About 60 to 70% of the time, if they had the opportunity to move around their enclosure, they did. And what was really interesting is that all of them, the hide they preferred was the vertical hide. So they weren't down, you know, underground. They were literally up in this hide that was hanging off the enclosure top. And if you know anything about um, ball python natural history, and Travis Wyman and I have talked about this because uh, people get manuscripts and they overinterpret the results. But you know, they don't just live in termite mounds. Sorry, guys, that's not true. They come out an hour after dark, and they will patrol and hunt a little bit. They don't do it all the time, but they do it, uh, and they are absolutely found in you know hollows that are up. So our results showed that if given a, a choice, they'd go to the enriched side. So like, so then you look at it and go, well, but doesn't matter because obviously we have thousands of ball pythons being produced on newspaper with a hide. And my only thing is if you're a breeder, stress is going to impact your output. And if your animals are not stressed and they're chilled and happy, um, you might get a little bit more output. So do I think you need to uh, keep all your ball pythons that way? No. If you have one or two, though, and you're a pet keeper, why the hell not keep it that way? But a breeder is not a pet keeper. Yeah. And this is the thing that people don't understand. And if we don't have breeders that have the ARS racks and everything else, the pet keeper doesn't have the ball python. Um, and I brought this up in my class before, and the students, I'm not really even mad with their response. They were like, but it's like a puppy mill. I was like, well, mm. eh. Because <laughs> at that point, because you're thinking mammalian stuff, like when dogs, they need space. They need area to run. Mm -hmm. their, their their brain works different. And keeping them inside of a small crate where they shit on themselves, yeah, that's bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think yep. – it's, a, it's we, an apple to oranges situation. Oh, and I think yes. people have, we've assigned so many anthropomorphic behaviors to animals, especially reptiles, that it's 
it's like a double-edged sword. You know, on one hand, um, those beha- you know, assigning those behaviors to animals has helped people, you know, get over their fear of snakes, especially. Um, but also it kind of prevents people from having the respect for those animals that they need Mm -hmm. to and for caring for them in the way that is best for that animal. We have a tendency to care for animals in what we presume is best for them and not what is actually best for them. That snake does not give two shits if it went to Petco with you or or to (laughs) Walmart. It does not give a shit. Leave it in your fucking enclosure. I would argue. I would say it does (laughs) in the fact that that's added stress that it would not. Yes, yes, yes. in the sense that it definitely doesn't want to be there. It doesn't care in a positive yes, way. It but very much cares. I watched a, a it doesn't retic. have FOMO. I watched a retic get put on probably three thousand people's shoulders this weekend, and all I could think was, well, two things. I think that's a great way to get your animal sick and get shit. And then I was like, there's no way that, that snake wants to be doing that. Mm-mm. No. When I nope. do my classes, I there are there are a couple of snakes that I will let people do like the two finger, you know, touching the back of them. Um, but after a certain amount of time, like that's it, we're done. Like oh, I they're, a- they're going back in the tub. And then there's others that I'm like, I'm gonna show them to you, but you're not gonna get to touch them. Because I had a big seven really foot boa that let me know that it was done. I took it to a four a, H a thing. It was an all day event. I had several classes. And somewhere on the last one, I'm holding, and I always keep the head far away from all the kids yeah so i had the head and they'd come up and they'd put two fingers in the back and touch it and i was just like ow shit and i realized it just like its head was next to my elbow and i reached around it bit and then let go and i was like all right your, she's your done little like hello <laughs> the, the tap on the yep. shoulder <laughs> yeah because it wasn't it wasn't an aggressive bite and it wasn't a food bite but it was a uh, i'm fucking done now bite. yeah yeah mm-hmm. no i've had snakes do that doing education programs Yep. My, my, my rat snake is, um, she's, she's generally super chill, but, um, she absolutely will rattle her tail in my hands when she, she doesn't strike. She's never struck at me, never tried to bite me. Um, but when she's done, she will rattle her tail and I'm like, okay, we're good. Like I respect that. So (laughs) I think the, uh, one of the big issues that stems from like, before you get to, well, go ahead. ahead. Well, we work in, we live in extremes. Right. Mm-hmm. So we are we have become a culture of extremes. It either has to be this or that. So when it comes to the behavior of these animals, they either have to be completely stupid or they love me and they're personable and they know me and we have a relationship. They can't be somewhere in the middle where, all right, well, some are smarter than others. Right. I, I think we'd all agree that the the falsy is probably smarter than the ball python, <laughs> right? So th- it doesn't mean the ball python is dumb as much as I shit on them just because, again, I hate ball python people. But it's not it's not an active hunter. It doesn't have to know how to hunt down, track things, find stuff. It doesn't have to do all that when you watch something like an indigo. Like indigos are super mm-hmm. intelligent because mm-hmm. they have to go find food and they cover large amounts of ground on a regular basis to do it. Or like my sand boa sits underneath the bedding with its eyes above the bedding until food shows up. I have, I have lots of respect for you with the sand boas. So there you go. Because my son was like, I want a snake. It's like anything you want, bud. (laughs) Sand boas, sand boas, kicked my ass i couldn't get the damn things to eat oh I couldn't, no i couldn't get them to shed i mean i'm keeping like these obscure weird south american things and <laughs> these stupid kenyan samboas are just like dying oh. slowly dying like oh. i don't understand what the hell's going on here 
and then we ended up getting rid of all of them. So oh, that, that's actually my I feel devil snake. That's sad. I always thought yeah, those were super easy to keep. The, the super I know easy, they are super easy. Super to easy for me to keep. I don't understand what the hell happened. You know <laughs> why? It's, it's because you do so much that is not easy to keep <laughs> that you can't handle yeah. the simplistic. It's okay. There you go. You may have overthought <laughs> the sand boa. I, I probably did. Uh, going. Sorry, going back to touch on what you said earlier, you have the difference between the pet people versus the breeder people. You can tell which animals in our house were purchased for pet purposes because they have names. Yeah. Versus the ones that were bought for there's breeding not, purposes. There's not many of them left, though. <laughs> there isn't. There's a handful. Uh, See, and and all mine have names, partly because I, I am a, I am a pet And they person. know their name, and they come to it. And... Yes, they do. No. But I, I am a pet person, completely. But I'm not... I'm not that pet person. <laughs> I also name them because I do education and I find that when something has a name, it is easier for somebody to get past that fear yeah. when they have, you know, a cute name to associate it with. Like a lot of my male snakes, I have like an old man name theme going on, you know, the Normans and the Dexters. Um, and you know, I took out Gerald. Gerald made his debut. He's my juvenile Western hog nose. He made his debut this weekend. I pull him out and the whole room broke out and oh, and I'm like, I know, right. Yeah. You know, um, but again, I've worked with other animals for, I mean, my whole life. And so it, it, in another life, I would have been like a dog trainer or something. Yeah. Um, but you're also not the person that goes, my snake loves to watch TV with me. No, it, that's it, not a thing. It doesn't. Like, that's my not a, my no. snakes move too freaking much. They never would. They won't sit still. But my, but <laughs> so, and, but on my argument with that, I'm not, I am, but I'm not shitting on like the overly pet person because don't get me wrong they're taking care of their animal mm -hmm. as long as they're taking care yep. of their animal i'm great that's fine yep. but part of me wants to be like i need you to know that what you're saying isn't completely true that's yeah. that's the part well, where i'm like i get it i'm glad you love it yeah but can we love it while also understanding that the actual animal right like i'm i'm like you know if if this is what makes you feel connected to your animal and and makes you happy with your animal, then that's fine. But let's not forget at the end of the day that this is not a domesticated pet. This is still a wild animal and needs to be respected as such. Um, and just because you love your animal and you really, oh God, I can't stand it when people say boop the snoot. It makes me want to, it, it makes me feel like I need to take a shower. Um, but that snake that makes me want to find fact, that makes me want to have people boop the snoot of my children's python just come do I, it come poop it snoot i can honestly say i haven't done that to any of my fucking reptiles because one i think it's weird um to my dogs yes i will do that to my dogs all day long they can't get enough of it well that's because like if your dogs are like mine when you tap her on the nose she automatically licks her nose yeah so it's like a response thing yeah. and i'm that person that is just bored enough to sit and do it over and over to see how long she will put up with me before she walks away i i joke with people that you know i, I you know i tell people all the time like through you know my goal with education is not to make you best friends with these snakes um and then i tell them i'm like this is a very one-sided relationship anyway i want to be their best friend they mm -hmm. don't give a shit about whether they are my best friend or not <laughs> mm -hmm. you know but that's my way of you know connecting with the crowd a little bit more and making them feel more comfortable but I still make it very clear to them, like, these these are not domesticated animals, and we need to stop pretending that they are. No, I get you 100%. 100%. And I, I think that the 
I, I oftentimes hear people talk about is herpetoculture conservation, and I don't like that conversation because I don't know if it is. But I think that when you do what you do and people go out and talk to a group of people, I think that that is when people that have snakes in the private sector are totally in the in the bubble of conservation because they have such a bad image problem. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you get out the hognose snake and everybody goes, ah, oh, that's going to translate maybe to one of the Bubba McGurks in the audience next time they see a garter snake, they yep. may not necessarily turn it into garter snake chunks i have definitely had and and i've explained this to people like you're not you're not gonna win over everybody and you're i don't think your goal should be to win over everybody because it's just not possible and if that's your goal you're just gonna stress yourself out trying trying to get there um but i've had several people in fact i have one of a friend and neighbor of mine um, at one point she asked me what kind of witchcraft I was using because I, I, because I am the only person who could possibly make a snake look cute. She hated snakes. She was terrified of them. Two weeks ago, she posted a picture of herself moving a decays, picking it up with her bare hands and moving, right? moving it in her yard. She knew what it was. She They're said, all copperheads. You're she, wrong. she was like, I was ready to freak out at first. I walked away and then I went back and I picked it up and he was really cute. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm so proud of you. You know, yeah. but. No, it's not a big snake, but I'm like, look at how far you've come. Like at one point, like she would have been that person who was ready to kill that snake. And now she's moving him to another part of her garden. You know, those are the people, those are the people that, that we're going after. Yeah. And and another thing that's cool on that front is, um, I've noticed. So like we have three educators in the room and we're all dealing with our good friend, Gen Z, which is, (laughs) An interesting generation, and at I times bet. it makes me want to rip my hair out <laughs> yes. and go live in a cave by myself. I always tell um, folks the worst part about being a teacher is I see the future, and uh, it's not good. But, it's not good. But on that same token, look, they're good when I they're in my third grade class. Okay, that that they, when I do my classes for like non-majors, when I first started teaching back in 06, and I'd put up a picture of a spider or a snake or whatever, about half the class would be like, "Oh God, no." And now when we do that, you know, being a nerd has suddenly become socially acceptable, which yes. I'm really pissed about, by the way, being an <laughs> 80s and 90s. 100%. Um, but anyway, uh, but now I put those animals up and the general response in my classes, which are you know full of people from West Virginia, so I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> but they're kind of like, you know, oh, that's cool. Um, so it's kind of nice to see at least now. Do are all of them that way? No, there's definitely people there like burn it with fire. Yes. And that's okay. But the number of those has decreased dramatically in my observation. And I've been doing snake talks and programs literally since I was 13 and I'm 43. So if I got 30 years of this under my belt. So that's like one of the good things I would say is that there's a little bit more acceptance in the world um, than there was back in the day. And there's also this kind of attitude where, all right, I'm not completely entrenched in my ways, so convince me. And that's all I want when, when I'm talking to anybody. I just want mm-hmm. them to be open-minded enough to change a bit. So well, uh, I think a lot of that stems from uh, people have more opportunities to seeing these exactly. things. And so it definitely changes a lot. You know, look, we all grew up on Steve Irwin. Like, that, that changed an entire generation when it came to reptiles. 
Um, and as much as people want to, I, I it, it drives me nuts when people badmouth him because I love Steve Irwin to death. But I love Steve Irwin. Everything he did, I don't care how how crazy you think it was or whatever, changed an entire generation's outlook. And and you can kind of see, unfortunately, that kind of stuff isn't on TV anymore. And I worry mm-hmm. by that not being on TV and as as prevalent, I worry for future generations after that. He's still kind of relevant to folks. Most people still know who the crocodile hunter is, mm-hmm. but like, but now you don't get that now. Now you don't get that kind of stuff on, you know, you get the eating alive shit and, and you get the, you're, we're going back backwards in my mind. And so I hope that worries me. But and with that, yeah. but with that, we do have, I mean, at least in, especially in Texas, I mean, I'm not in any of the other state groups, but we have, there are a lot of things that I hate about social media, but we have so many groups now on Facebook for I mean, they're for any reptile that you could possibly imagine. But the problem is those groups, groups, those groups tend to attract people who are interested in them already. That's true. But a lot of the groups that we're in, like, for example, Free Snake Relocation Directory, that group attracts mostly people who are absolutely terrified of snakes. And it is an it's an excellent opportunity. Yes, we're there to help you know, relocate snakes. And so we're not there to bash people or anything like that. Um, but we can also take those opportunities to educate those people and open up their minds a little bit more that maybe I don't need to freak out and call somebody to come get this garter snake out of my garden, um, because it's not going to hurt me. And it's, it's not a perfect system, but it's there. And I've seen, and I'm seeing it work. Um, maybe not necessarily changing a generation the way that, you know, yeah, yeah like Steve Irwin. Um, well, that's why I think zoos are vitally important. You know, that's why oh, absolutely. I, there's a lot of reasons why I hate PETA, but this is one of the big reasons when they, when they want to bad mouth zoos and close down zoos. And I've always said it, you know, I used to teach at inner city school. The only time that kid's going to see a lion mm-hmm. is if they go to the zoo. Yep. You can't ask them to care about a lion if they've never seen a lion. There are species that only still exist because of zoos. Mm-hmm. And you and you can't ask somebody to care about nature unless they've seen it. You can. You can ask them all the time. You can, guys, you should definitely care about this animal. But until they see it in person and understand what it is in person, for all those kids, it's just a picture in a book. If I show them a picture of a lion, that doesn't mean anything. You flip to the next page, they forgot what they saw. You take them to a zoo and it's right up next to the glass and they're eye to eye with that animal. That's a completely different experience. And Absolutely. same thing, you take them and you show them a big alligator, a big crocodile. Like we went to the like crocodile encounter and all those crocodiles you get to see get up close to and everything. That changes an outlook. So that's why I think things like zoos and public outreach programs like what you do are vitally important because you've got to get these animals in front of people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because if you don't, these people are purely living off of what they've been told. And, and let's face it, with, with the animals we like, they're not told the the best stories, right? No, no. You know? <laughs> Hell, I I even show people. I, I some people may not agree with this, but I show people the bites that I get, not to scare people, but, but to show that you didn't but, die from it. But to specifically show them, it's not a big deal. It's really not. Now, this would obviously be a different story if I was bitten by like a twenty foot reticulated python, or that um, cottonmouth <laughs> that chases you down because they chase people. Yes, or that one. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, just to let people know, like, hey, look, and even in my classes, I tell people, I'm like, listen, I'm 
I've never been bitten by the snakes that I have today. Um, but it could happen. So if it does, don't worry about it. I got hand sanitizer and paper towels. I'll wipe it off and we'll move along. It's not a big deal. Like that was always my thing at the, <laughs> at the zoo and the education department. That was always my thing. Like, Oh, does it bite? Well, anything with a mouth can bite. Yeah. You bite your food every yep. day when you eat whatever meal it is you're eating. And like, we would just roll with it from there. Well, it's the, it's, again, they're the, if they're not informed and they don't see it, they're going off of what they've been told. And you know, to a lot of people, all snakes are poisonous, you know, uh, yes, I said poisonous. It hurts. It, it hurts to say it. <laughs> I'm having like nightmarish flashbacks to but, that like weird. What was it? That episode that I shared? Those two like redneck rock and roll looking guys. Oh, uh, Billy Wranglers. the Exterminator. Yes, yeah, he's an he idiot. Was, he, was like, <laughs> he was like, it seems that there must be a lot of poisonous snakes in this house. I'm like, well, right, I have officially checked out. Just, just so you know, to you. meth will do a lot of stuff to you. <laughs> That's one of them. Yeah, clearly. Uh, drugs are bad. Okay? Drug, drugs are bad. Okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I forget, where I, was going. I, I, I forget where I was going with that. I got the Billy Exterminator now. My brain melted. I'm sorry, that was my fault. Billy Exterminator. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, you, you've got to you've got to get past all those all those misconceptions, and sometimes just seeing the animal can get rid of misconceptions. Mm-hmm. In fact, I actually had somebody left a comment um, from from this past weekend. Um, she said, I really enjoyed your program today and highly recommend attending these for anyone who loves or hates snakes. It's surprising how one's perspective can change with just a little knowledge. Like, thank you. That, that is exactly the goal. Nobody is expecting you to come to the reptile expo with me and have 30 snakes in your house and be the crazy snake person in your neighborhood. We are just trying to help you develop a healthy respect for these animals um because they were here first this is their home they have every right to be on this planet just well, like you and robert I. and i did a, a, a reptile show this weekend and it was it was not a herp show it was a different one um it was definitely a different clientele than what we're used to mm-hmm. it was the, based on the way that it was publicized it was uh what we t- like to refer to at a, at a reptile show as zoo people mm-hmm. uh they came there because they're basically going to a zoo uh, yeah. which is fine which is great because those people need that. They need to see this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like when I talk about that retake being put on 3,000 people, I'm torn. I do love people being able to interact with these animals. But bring four or five animals and rotate them. Yeah, rotate and, them out. Mm-hmm. And, that's all you got to do. And, and that's fine. Uh, our, our buddy Blake made – I don't know how much you made. He did really well at having people take pictures with his little Nile crocodile. And, and so that's it's a little baby Nile crocodile – People don't get to see a Nile crocodile. Their their only idea of a Nile crocodile is it will eat people, which it, it will. But this this like it, I say personalized, but it makes it makes it a little bit closer to home. And so that kind of stuff is very important. That's that's one thing I love about reptile expos, is that someone sees a sign that says reptiles and they go, let's go there and see what we can find. Now, granted, I'm with Robert. We're selling racks and cages, and he has some signs, and he has one that says like a Cobra Lover Lane. It's we got asked. And I've never he's had this sign at every show. Never once have been fucking asked. <laughs> At least twenty times over the weekend. Y'all got cobras? <laughs> the fuck behind me? Just me? What? Nothing behind me says the sign is the only thing. You don't see anything behind me that looks like a cobra. I, that that was the other problem about being at a, a zoo people show and not a, a reptile buyer show. But I haven't been to that one. It uh it was very interesting, but it was it was a lot of people that were. That may have been their first experience yeah. with a turtle. With I should have made him yep. a shirt on Saturday to wear on Sunday that said, got cobras, me neither. <laughs> and that would have been yeah, great. There you go. 
So I, I, I when it comes to these debates, like with with enrichment for snakes or for anything, when it goes to racks and cages, any of that stuff. Again, as we say all the time, we've got to stop thinking in extremes. It cannot be yes or no. None of this You've stuff got to is be in the middle. Yeah, none of this stuff is yes or no. No. Right. I mean, and, and the, the, the way I keep is right in the middle. So I great example because you know initially I came out. It might seem like I'm totally racks, racks, racks. And I I do not have a problem with a rack if the rack is being used and you're using the rack in a way where you're promoting the species appropriate behavior. And my collection at home is a little different than the collection here. Uh, they blur a little bit because my house serves as a quarantine for the animals here. And if, if something's going, if we have an animal that's not doing well, I totally take it home because having a sea of 19 year olds trying to medicate it is a good way to die. So <laughs> everybody wants um, to give it an injection. Yeah, there you go. So like, you know, they come home, but I initially had a bunch of rat snakes. I got into Asian rat snakes. I had your uh, North American rat snakes. And um, I started to, to I, I ran out of PVCs, So I was kind of rotating them where they would spend X amount of months in a, in a tub and then I would rotate them into the PVC enclosures because I wanted them to have, like you were talking about with your rat snake, I think rat snakes need to climb. I think corn snakes need to climb. That's a species appropriate behavior for that snake. And I started feeling pretty crappy about the way that I was keeping my rat snakes. I didn't advertise it on social media. I didn't make it my Instagram story. I just was like, you know what? This isn't working for me and I don't like the way I feel about this. So I Gave the snakes away to people that I knew would take really good care of them. Um, and then, but I still had these enclosures. And what I realized was that I really like king snakes. And king snakes, natural history is very different than a rat snake. Yeah. Um, there's a million papers out there that show that rat snakes and king snakes are ecological equivalents. But um, kings are more down on the ground and rats are more up up top and, and and i had the caging that i thought was okay for the the king so i've done this it's it's ridiculous because i got a couple florida king snakes and then i was like i like these things i, need <laughs> well, I love a i love appalachian uh -huh. kings yeah so now i've got this huge getula collection i do scent based enrichment with them um i that, make sure they have a really complicated substrate in their tubs it's like pine bedding, peat moss, sphagnum moss. It's, you know, there's there's stuff there. They burrow through it all the time. Mine love to burrow. The, the biggest tubs that I can get. Uh, I've got some AR racks coming. You know, people would look at me like I was higher than a kite because I bought ARS racks for $125 Florida king snakes, but that's <laughs> what I'm doing. Um, and that ARS tub for a king snake, that's every bit as good as a freaking PVC Viv. Yeah. Um, for them, I mean, it's a huge tub. I can heat it. I can add a little bit of climbing, but I can give them that thick bed of substrate and I can give them a light. So, you know, that's what, what we're doing, but th that's kind of my, my strategy when it comes to all this, but it's, it's the middle because it's still a rack. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm, I just found a snake that I feel is appropriate for a rack. Now, is there somebody out in the ether that's going to, that thinks it's complete bullshit to keep, king snakes in iraq i know that they exist um they found me and told me but i don't <laughs> i don't care like i did my research and that's the way that i'm going to do it and it, it's all well and good and the snakes the other reason why i do this is just it makes them so much more interesting 
when you can watch them doing what they what they're what they do in nature um like uh, i right before i came up here i was changing out the substrate in my vivs i have a wall in my office of pvc enclosures and um i'm gonna make it all locale getula oh, cool. species and um my pl uh planellus florida king female that i have i put like this much substrate about two or three inches in the in the viv that she's living in and she was on mulch but i actually put like a a, a mix in there and it was really interesting because um i put her in there and she freaking swam down into the substrate substrate like a one of those worms from dune like, <laughs> like, like a damn sand boa going around you know underneath the substrate and there was a guy who did a study on florida king snakes and he showed that they use vole burrows and they will go into loose substrate and actually kind of porpoise up and down through the substrate so like i read the paper it's like full circle as a herp keeper because i read the paper i learned that behavior was there i put the snake in the viv it does that and then that's why i keep reptiles is to see those kind of things um and i don't get that if i have her in the tub but there's 30 other ones in the garage and tubs so yeah you know what like so it's kind of a little bit of everything my it's Cali, just, it's doing the snakes justice that's all my Cali king i think is working on um being an ambush predator i was <laughs> i was going in to take her out for my class on saturday and her ass gets hooked when she comes out always mm -hmm. even if i'm just doing water the hook is coming with me because she will try to eat anything that moves and I didn't see her when I was going in. So I thought, oh, she must be in her hide. She was not. She was burrowed beneath the substrate right up against the door. And so when I started to to open it, all of a sudden I hear this thump and I just see her come out of nowhere and she just hits the glass like she's just ready for yep. food. And yeah, so I guess that's that's her thing now. But uh, I... Uh, I keep my, I'm keeping my eye on that substrate a little bit more closely. <laughs> mm -hmm. no, well, got, it's really cool. I've got to say with my, cause I've got a speckled King and it's very interesting. You can definitely tell there's more going on in their head than other things. Cause you can see their eyes looking around. Yeah. Like you can see them focusing, like, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's more thought there on what they need to do next versus let me just sit here. Ophelia will actually follow you around the enclosure and anyone who, anyone who comes in the room, she'll, she'll sit there and she'll actually follow you around. And who knows, maybe she's waiting for more food. She's a garbage disposal. Um, but even, even if she just ate a few days ago, she's just, she seems just really curious and she'll sit there and just well, watch everything. I mean, imagine king snakes. They have to outsmart other snakes so they obviously have to be smarter i always oh, tell folks, oh, and, and, and zach said earlier you have to be smarter than what you eat there's a reason cows aren't that intelligent grass doesn't run away i was gonna say she literally tried to like she bit the side of the enclosure one day because she missed and she she held on and started coiling the door and i had oh, to when they when they get into food mode the there, intelligence there was, shuts down it was it shuts yeah down completely. she was yeah. a complete <laughs> savage they, their, their brains only work <laughs> on one thing at a time yeah and when it's when it's thinks it's food Everything else is out the window. You have to wait for it to come back. That's like I said, when I feed my big Louisiana pine, yeah. when I open it and he smells food, he's no longer the nice, calm Louisiana pine snake I have. He's going to eat whatever moves in front of his face. She's pretty. At least she's yeah. got that going for her. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I do, and I may have to talk to you later, Zach, about 
uh, some things. I've, my school is going to allow me to set up a small zoo, basically. I've got a room nice. behind my behind my desk. It's in my room, but it backs up to the hallway, and it's got two big windows. And so we're going to be able to, to build out those windows from the inside and do cages. And we're going to do a small reptile zoo there. And I plan on starting a club and having kids come after school yeah. to clean, feed, and all that kind of stuff. I'm just going to turn my English classroom into a little zoo because I already got that going for me. But uh, <laughs> I, I need to write up some like procedures and protocols. I may hit you up for that because I'm sure you probably have some sort of We already have them. Yeah. So I'm sure y'all have some sort of procedures and protocols in place. I need maybe he could just share his with you and you could tweak them. Well, that's that's kind of what I'm planning because I, I, I need to get something to Copy my case. yes, I need to get something to my, my principal. They, they've okayed it, but they want to see some procedures and protocols, and I'm like, don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah, so I, I may have to get with you on that, but I'm I'm super sure. excited about that for next year because it gives these kids one uh, as a club. I can pick and choose who does it, so I can't. It's not going to just be like some. And you yeah, have APA heard. classes next year. You have, have advanced classes have some next advanced year. Advanced classes next year. Uh, but I, it gets them experience with some animals they wouldn't normally get experience with. Uh, I get to go back on some of my zoo background because I get to go through process of how to. They can learn about enrichment because they're going to be in cages. They can they can design them. They can do all that stuff. We can do different things, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to that next year. You could, oh, what you could apply for the grant. Which grant? We the that our education foundation they give out grants every year. Yeah, I never apply for grants. I, I can totally help you with that. Cool. It's not hard. I did. I did it grant. with. I did it with the zoo, <laughs> and they give like like we had nine teachers at my elementary school that got between eight hundred and eleven hundred dollars for like random stuff that they want to do in their classroom. They just awesome. fill out the paperwork and they got it. We have like five dollars out of each paycheck that goes to. But the I thought of a list of some cool reptiles because that was my other problem. I was like, well, I don't want to bring any of my stuff because all my stuff has a reason, has a purpose, and I'm not gonna like. <laughs> As bad as that sounds. You say that like nothing else has a reason. No, man. but no, but it's like <laughs> if I plan on breeding this, I'm not going to go take it to a school where. I understand that. I mean, I'm taking a $600 sample. A Mexican black king snake's never going to my classroom. <laughs> but but I thought it was some cool thing. Like this weekend, we were at the at the show, and they have you know you can get their imports, but you get the like leg, legless lizards, those big European those are legless cool. lizards. Yeah. I was like, that'd be kind of cool. Um, those yeah. em- emerald tree skinks, because I've seen a lot of videos where you, those actually become very personable. Like they'll come out onto your hand, run around, then go back in. Like, And they get used to being fed. And they're, I'm trying to think of things that would be out during the day because a lot of the stuff I like is going to sit in a corner My during the day. My nocturnal, yeah. And do nothing. I'm like, oh, man, I got to think of things that, that people want to see. So I'm like, you know, big corn snake or rat snake would be cool. One of the things that I was – I mean, I got them because I wanted them. Let's just be real. Uh, and then they ended up being a fan favorite of all the students is uh, Aki's. I want uh, Kimberly they rocks. Don't stop. When you get their husbandry dialed in and you get their tent, like they have to get really freaking hot. Yeah. And if you can get them up to like 125 degrees and they can get to that, like operating body temperature, they just don't stop moving all damn day. And they will Aki's learn. been on his list for a while. They were yeah. until, until I saw Kimberly rock monitors. Yeah. And now I'm like just little tiny monitors. I, I want a little tiny monitor, but I do love Aki's. They're active. No. The, the nice thing about Ackies is they're kind of bulletproof. The only issue that I've experienced with Ackies is like if you have Ackies and you don't have other people messing with the Ackies, they learn who their keeper is. You learn how to be around them. It's all well and good. But one of the interesting things about the collection that I oversee here is that while it's awesome that I got to design and get it, I now kind of understand what, what it's like to have a collection that's maintained by lots of people. And the Ackies are fun because – you mentioned how your boa was like, yeah, I'm done, and did a little snap. Yeah. 
Ackies will be running around and everybody loves them. And when they decide they don't want to be messed with anymore and they've had it, they turn into little 18 inch crocodiles <laughs> and they bite things and spin. Oh, oh yeah. And, um, and, and you can tell when it's funny because the noise that a student makes when they're being bitten and spun by an Aki is, is similar to the noise I think they would make if they were being bit by a crocodile monster. <laughs> the, like shrieks of terror that I've heard have made me like quit what I'm doing and run to the room. And I'm expecting like the water monitors ripping a hand off and it's just this little 18 inch lizard spinning and pinky. Like I'm like, what the hell? So um, anyway, but that's the only downside to the, to the Ackies is you would, you don't want to have lots of people. Um, like if if you limit it to ten kids, that's one thing. But I have over a hundred students, so yeah, they all it's, rotate it's through be a, all our spaces. A small amount because it's, it's a small yeah. room, and, and like, I, but I think one thing that's fun we can we can breed our own feeders, which would be kind of a cool thing. We mm-hmm. can breed dubias and and millworms, yep. and uh, by by we I mean they, because um, I'm not doing it. Uh, but like I said, it'll be really cool. And the other thing was is a there's a, a mirror room. Basically, it's my room, the opposite, right next to it. It has the same room. And uh, there's a possibility that that teacher may not be coming back next year. Somebody else may be moving in there. So I can maybe talk them into just letting me have that room too. have that room too. And then have two. There you go. Reptile <laughs> zoos. So what you're saying is I'm going to need to like bake cookies for whoever gets that classroom next year. And yeah. we're going to have to cozy yeah. up to them. Okay. But, uh, but there's STEM grants out the wazoo that you can get for that would literally get you 10 or $20,000. And you can do a lot Shit. with 20000 Ten to twenty thousand dollars. To a lot of ten thousand dollars, right? Yeah, I need to start learning how to embezzle some shit. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'm, I'm excited. Robert said, you know, he's going to donate the cages, so the summer we'll go down there and we'll measure it, and we can. Mm-hmm. measure out to fit exactly in that spot which would be kind of cool the problem is is you've got to figure out what exactly you want before you do that well i i'm gonna make kind of generic cages you know there'll be oh, okay. a couple of arboreal cages a couple of larger cages for larger animals a couple gotcha. of smaller ones i know i do want to do uh like a communal thing of the uh forest scorpions because you can put a black light on them and that'll be really cool for kids to walk by and see glowing scorpions in a cage with a black light yep. so but i'm excited that's that's that'll be fun I do miss, like I said, there's things I miss about being a zookeeper. So that's a little slice of being a zookeeper. Yeah. Well, you talked about you've gotten stuff for your collection, things that you wanted. Same thing happened when I was a zookeeper. My, my director once handed me the list of AZA reptiles that were available for, yes. and that was a mistake. He's like, what that's do you a want? a horrible mistake. And I was like, oh, let's see. So I ended up with a blackheaded python and two Madagascan uh, green tree boas. Those are gorgeous, though. Oh, and, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we they pretty much never went on exhibit. Uh, they were in the back. We had nowhere for them. We had we had one. We had no Australian exhibit, and we had nothing for the Madagascar tree was Like they put them in the education building at once, and they're like, "Yeah, this doesn't work." I'm like, "Yep, they're not great for this. Put them back in the back." And so I would just <laughs> go back in the keeper. Like I'd go hold the black blackhead just because, like, I can't afford this, but I can play with it here. No. When you see those lists, by the way, because I'm on those list serves and the surplus list that AZA has, and you're just like, "Holy Christ!" Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like you want six lace monitors. I'm like, "Holy mother of God!" So yeah. Look, when I saw when I saw Sanzinia on there, I'm like, "Yes, we're getting them." And I think mm-hmm. they were like uh, confiscations. I think wildlife Texas wildlife fishers I think confiscated them from someone. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, now I still want them, and I can't afford them either. So. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, let's run through some of the things that were on. There's some things that got posted on our group page this week that were interesting. 
Uh, My phone doesn't want to pull anything up, so I can't really follow. Travis just posted a video like five minutes ago. Um, cause I always get alert when he posts stuff and it was a guy who was driving and an Eagle flew into the passenger window of his car and just like, fuck that. Like, no, no, no. Like it's not, it wasn't a bald Eagle, but doesn't matter. A dick. The guy, like it just sits there and stares at him. And like this guy like slams on the brakes and he's like, the fuck is an Eagle doing in my car? And he's like, and then he's like, Oh, you're injured. And you see him like barely moved to put his car in park and then like bail out of the car and he's standing there he's like all right who do i call to fix this like i don't feel like getting attacked by an eagle in my car it was insane it was insane someone else posted the thing for i need i need to watch um this is called prehistoric planet on apple i need to watch apple tv oh yeah we have so much stuff oh sorry because isn't that the one i think that's the one with um david attenborough yeah Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be the best dinosaur documentary ever made really I don't have a single thing that's Apple in my house, so <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how the hell I can see. I've, I've waited 43 years to see this documentary. So Well, and I love anything David Attenborough does. Yes. Like, I, I have Planet Earth, but I have the Planet Earth BBC version because I'm not doing Sigourney Weaver. Fuck that shit. I want mm-hmm. David Attenborough to it's make me though. feel sm- No, David Attenborough makes me feel smarter when I hear his voice. Sigourney no. yes. Weaver true, has a very calming plus, voice. Plus, it's fitting because his brother was in Jurassic Park, so it's fitting yeah. for him to do a dinosaur thing. <laughs> but, but there's a fun thing about David Attenborough. If you ever get the chance to watch the, the documentaries he did when he was younger in, like, the 70s and the 80s, they're very, very different because that's what I was raised on. Yeah. Um, and he did a series in the 70s called Life. And there's so, so many animals slowly dying in that documentary. And they talk about how vicious life was. And you like watch it and they're like, I need to end it all now. Like there's a, <laughs> and, and he had like, they just had a complete change of heart in the 90s with, with him. Because I distinctly remember being like a little kid. Um, on my couch watching PBS and just bawling my eyes out because the, the baby pelicans are getting eaten by the hyenas and the jackals Aww. and the lions and the snake. It was just like, <laughs> like, you know, but now it's a very, very different vibe, but it's, it's worth seeing the OG Attenborough compared to this new, much more pleasant version. Yes. I, I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I love him. That's we we end up watching yeah. anything David Attenborough like towards the, like this time of year when we have nothing going on in class. I'm like, all right, guys, just sit there and be quiet, and I'll just watch no, David Attenborough. I stuff. have an assignment in my zoology class where they, it, it's well, you guys are teachers. It's the all right, you screwed up on a test. Here's your gimme points to make up for that one mistake yeah. assignment, and it's literally go on Netflix, find anything narrated by David Attenborough, and watch six of them. And you'll get eighty points back. Like that's literally what the assignment is. You just, you're automatically so. smarter when you hear his voice. Mm-hmm. It's just yep. They have so to write better. like a book report. So <laughs> I love that your college kids are writing a book report. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, oh, this this got posted on our page this this week, and uh, this was really sad. It was a road killed Eastern Indigo. Oh, I yeah, saw that. that. Heart aching. Oh, and it was a big one too. That's 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 painful. They're such a cool snake. That's I, I never see I've got to give you credit for owning falsies. I can't do as much as I'd be like, I'd love to own a, an indigo. They eat too much and they shit too much. Corn snakes already shit too much for me. And <laughs> and I have them. But like I would love dry Maracon or something big like that, but I just don't want to deal with 
on, the amount of feces. And I'm assuming I'm assuming the water cobras are the same because they eat a ton. They are. What you got to do though is you got to be proactive with your substrate. So like, I I put a lot of time into the substrate for the falsies because if you don't, it's going to turn into a crap stew twice a week. So what I do is um. Uh, they, there's, they make them for rabbits. It's compressed pine pellets. Oh yeah. And when those get wet, they kind of disintegrate, but they absorb liquid and it ends up having the exact same effect as, uh, the cat litter that when the cat dr- drops a dump, it just kind of clocks it all up. So you can just go in and shovel it out. That's and smart. When I started doing that with the falsies, it became much, much more manageable. But if you, Anybody that keeps dry market or false water cobras on newspaper, you're literally inducing your own personal hell. Like, I don't understand because these things, when they crap, it's like a toddler taking a dump. It's I mean, not, I it's, made it's the massive. Mis- I learned real quick about not quarantining king snakes on paper towels. I don't know mm-hmm. why anybody would keep those snakes on newspapers. No. <laughs> no. Well, Just you- keeping them on the mulch without the, the pellets. And I can't claim that. Um, the, the the guy that I look up to with false water cobras is a guy named Kyle Wilson. And he is who I got one of my big breeder females off of way back when I got the first set. And I messaged him relentlessly and I asked him, what the hell do you do about this crap? Um, <laughs> and, and he was like, Oh, I actually do compressed wood pellets. And then another thing that you do is uh, you go to the reptile show and you buy 1500 super worms and you take a handful of super worms and you chuck it in the enclosure, and when they go to the bathroom, um, the superworms will start to eat it, uh, and you end up with this superworm colony that's being supplied and, and grown off of false water cobra shit. But it ends up working <laughs> out well. Like you have to actively attack the crap. You can't just sit back <laughs> with with them. But if you do it, you're good. If you don't do it, that's when like it doesn't work. I accidentally did the same um, thing with a savannah monitor and mealworms. Uh, I took a bunch of, when I was entering at the zoo, they had mealworms, they had all these beetles and like, nothing eats the beetles. Like, well, I'll take them home. We'll see if the Savannah monitor eat them. No, nothing eats the beetles. Uh, but <laughs> a, a time went by, I went by and I was like, oh, Katie's like, have you been cleaning the cage? I haven't cleaned shit out of that cage in yeah. weeks. And all of a sudden I caught it one day after shit and I looked and of course there's little mealworms coming up from underneath, yep. eating all the shit and then going back down in the bedding. I was like, oh, that's nice. I do that with <laughs> everything. Um, gets mealworms because i during my field season because i'm a field biologist too i travel a lot yeah i know you got to go see um, boas and all that stuff i i I have to like i have to have a mechanism to deal with the crap with my wife because oh yeah if if everything does sequential crapping the hour after i leave 100 the hour after i leave everyone's gonna crap someone's gonna vomit it's like fucking baby children my daughter whenever katie would leave the house 15 minutes after she's gone explosive diaper i'm like what Mm -hmm. the fuck every katie comes home and she gets like a little nice little turds we're like oh look throw this away no i get the all up the back and shit everywhere i never had one of those never yeah it was was all dad So this isn't me like trying to be swanky. This is literally me trying to survive. Yeah. So. Well, you also have bloods, and I know uh-huh. from being friends oh, with with uh, April. April, like when they go to the bathroom, they fucking go. It's insane. Like, I've they, never no. seen anything put that much liquid out of its body for the size yeah. that that snake is. Yep. It was mind blowing for me. 
They just hold yep. on to it for forever. And they're like, ah, today's a good day to it's go crazy. ahead and drop five gallons of liquid. It's Enjoy ins- this. It's crazy. My bull snake hasn't eaten in three weeks. And so Saturday I, you know, took him out for the class and whatnot. We get home and, and he pooped like two weeks ago. He's so a colubra that eat once, poop 17 times. I know, times. but I just wasn't yes. thinking anything about it. We get home and I just, I don't know, somebody was looking out for me because I opened up the tub and he had taken this massive shit on the way home. And I'm just like, oh my God, five more minutes of handling. And that would have been on me oh, yeah. in the class. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was disgusting. All right. I was going to run through more of these things real quick. Uh, tra- oh, Travis posted this cool thing from the Orient Society. It's a scarlet snake. Mm-hmm. It may, they say amelanistic. Travis thinks it may be uh, like hypomelanistic. Um, I don't know, but either way, it's it's really cool. It's It looks kind of albino, but Travis is a doctor. I won't disagree. I will disagree with Travis. I think it's albino. <laughs> Fuck you, Travis. Um, you know oh. we're going to get a text message about that now, I'm right? Sh- I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, Max Hicks posted, I've seen this before. I always laugh at the, you know, it's, it's the funny joke with Americans. Like we'll use anything but the metric system to measure stuff. And so this one yep. is the police rescued an Ariana Grande sized alligator from a basement. Yeah. <laughs> one Ariana Grande apparently is the size of an alligator. I'm like, we, we will use pretty much anything. Oh, you posted the the primer book on amphibians and reptiles. Yes. I want to get that. I've seen it several times. Um, It's awesome. I'm really annoyed because I actually can't find my copy. It is somewhere in my house and I was going to bring it to my class on Saturday and I can't find it. Um, But it's, it's a gorgeous book. It's hardcover. Um, your husband hid it from you probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it also goes, uh, the proceeds from the book support the Louisiana exotic animal resource network, um, which is an awesome nonprofit in Louisiana and, uh, they do so much good work rehabbing. It's a super educational book. Like it's got a lot of like natural it's, history type it stuff is in it. Super educational. I mean, it covers. And it's a big book. It, it's it's a pretty thick book. It covers all sorts of different species throughout the United States. Um, it's it's fantastic, and it's great for for kids, for adults, for people who are already into reptiles or just learning about reptiles. Yeah. Um, it's it's just an all around like. You got to have it in your. And collection. it's a massive book, and it's only like thirty something bucks if you order it brand mm-hmm. new from yeah from the guy that has it. like it's don't mm-hmm. go on don't go on uh, Amazon to get it because it's like three hundred yeah. something dollars on Amazon, Mm-mm. but you can totally get it for thirty seven or some dollars from the guy yeah. that wrote it. So. You can out you could get it for cheaper too. There's actually a section on his website where they have um, copies available that maybe there's a small issue with it, like you know, there's a smudge on a page or oh, yeah. something that didn't print quite right. And you can get it, I think for like 20% off or something like that. I've seen oh. it for sale at Herp shows. That's because I, mm-hmm. the, I mean, it's in Louisiana is where the guy, the group's from. Yeah. But, um, there were several things posted this week of birds and snakes not getting along. Uh, one was a secretary bird. The secretary bird had a snake wrapped around its neck and, uh, it looked like it was wearing a scarf. Um, the person said when they left, the secretary bird's head started drooping. Like I, it may have got the, this. There's no way on earth the snake could actually eat the secretary bird because it's a bird, massive bird, small snake. But the bird may have di- actually died uh, from that. And then there's a video someone posted of a duck that was bobbing upside down because there was a snake wrapped around its head that it definitely could not eat. Uh, and they got it on land and they got it off of it. And uh, it was. I wasn't. It was a frog. It wasn't a snake. It was a bullfrog. The bullfrog had yeah. had eaten the duck's face and was holding him down, uh, which obviously the bullfrog couldn't eat a full-grown duck. There's this picture here of a meadowlark uh, fucking with a bull snake, 
when eventually the metal arc leaves, but it's a good sized bull snake. I can't believe that snake didn't go after it. I, I'm I'm just amazed at the fights that some birds will pick with things. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, birds don't give a fuck. That's why I hate mockingbirds. <laughs> yeah, they. I have a couple that nest in the tree in our backyard every year. Fuck mockingbirds. They dive bomb my dogs. Uh, Nathan posted a video of a person swimming and being chased by. I'm assuming maybe a caiman or something. I don't think it's an alligator. Um, and he said, uh, even if something comes at you in the water, it just bumps you. And I told him it wouldn't matter because the heart attack that I had wouldn't have really mattered. <laughs> I'd have been dead anyways. Oh, I'd, I'd have shit myself yeah. if I was. Oh, I'd, have, I'd shit myself and had a heart attack. Also, I don't think I'd have been trying to. At some point, I'm turning around and I'm punching this bitch. I'm at least going to try to put up a fight. <laughs> it's not grabbing me from behind. Your comments made me laugh very hard on that post. <laughs> well, and then there's this guy. Because I know you so well. And I'm like, oh, good. Well, then there's this guy working at some sort of facility or gator park or something. He's feeding like full grown gators. And there's like five or six of them just like right up on top of him he's like reaching down like pushing their faces away and i'm thinking maybe you should feed them from somewhere else not yeah that's not wise i mean i've been the close i I did get i got bit i say bit my pants got bit once by a crocodile and i never took my eyes off alligators or crocodiles for that day ever like i was very careful to make sure i knew where they all and i had a way out like this guy couldn't get to the gate because the alligator it's he got out eventually but be smarter uh travis posted this this was an interesting fossil. It was it was a turd. They, they Cobra found, light. Yeah, they mm-hmm. they they found poop with a footprint in it of some sort of crocodilian that apparently stepped on this turd and then the turd uh, <laughs> got covered and turned into a fossil. And so they have this foot, this partial footprint of a crocodilian inside of poop, which is just a fun fossil. Uh, oh, this was actually on Travis posted this, but I saw it on Zach's thing. It was. And I tried to understand it, but it was about fucking salamanders. Uh, <laughs> I, it took me seven times. <laughs> and did. I understood it for 20 minutes. And then I was like, I'm going to share this. And I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has to do with like this entire female group of salamanders uh-huh. stealing sperm from other salamanders. Uh, using, not their own species. Yeah, not their own way. species. Using the useful parts and then just kind of like. They have the yeah. unuseful parts, but they don't no. use them. I watched that and was like, this is Star Trek level shit. Yeah. Like, because they, they can't, they don't have males in their population. So they're just getting what they need from the other males, but they're not getting everything. Um, and then I thought, I'm going to have to teach this crap one day. So I'm going to share it now. So I can go back <laughs> in my timeline later and have this cheat, like this video I can watch. Because well, uh, they found females with, or they found all the different species multiple, were in the one species genome. Yeah, multiple <laughs> multiple versions of the DNA. It's, it's fucking weird. Yeah. Um, and then oh, I I posted an old picture of a of an albino orca, which I just thought was cool. And I think that was it. That was all we had. So that was it. Katie, you have anything? Yes. Nope. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I know you're I, going it to sleep. is not you personally at all. I promise. It's the end of the year. I, it's, it's all, it. it's nine oh five and it's past my bedtime. It's been a long day. <laughs> Megan, do you have anything? Yep. And we have field day I tomorrow. I have nothing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so was Zach, that, was, was I supposed to? Have no, 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 no. You were a wonderful <laughs> guest, though. Yeah, I I really enjoyed. I have all the to conversations say, today. I don't know if you've ever been told this, but on camera you look a lot like Alton Brown. Doesn't he? Alton Brown. He oh. totally does. <laughs> he does. Never I see it now. I do. Do you see it? I mean, I can see, I see it, it now. But he I, smiles a lot more. Glasses. 
He's, I don't wear my glasses normally. Yeah, it's but the glasses. I'm it's... getting old. He smiles so a lot more than Alton on. Brown does, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the glasses, I, I can. I'm telling my I wife that when it. I get home. <laughs> Actually, tomorrow's her last day being a teacher, so she's in a coma right now. Yeah, I oh. know she's in a coma. She was she was fading when I drove up here at six. We had a. So. Uh, I've I've been out the last couple of weeks, and some of our listeners are, are probably trying to figure out why we had a, we had a death in the family. And so I, I very much was like, I, I don't want to do the podcast tonight. Like, I just want to break. I just don't want to have to think. And James talked me into it. And I'm really glad he did. It was a, it was nice to get back into oh. my normal routine. So Well, I've heard, I've heard you on several podcasts, Zach. And I was like, and then Drew from the Learning Zoo is the one that suggested when I asked him, hey, give me two people. And he's like, Zach Lofman. I was like, why do I know that name? I know why I know that name. Because yeah. I've actually messaged you before. And, I, and I've heard you on several podcasts. I was like, yes, I want to have Zach on because... He has an awesome program up there that I never got to be a part of because it didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'll send you up there for a summer. I'm sure they do summer there classes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's funny because when I went to school, I, I wanted to be a reptile keeper. And the only school that basically had anything reptile related was Florida. Yep. Like that was, that was it. If you wanted to do reptile that's stuff, it. go to Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's pretty accurate actually. And now, and now it's cool to see it pop up other places and see other people, other programs starting to focus around, that, especially like some of the zoo stuff, because because again, there was only there's only a handful of zoo places, and for what you have and what you do in the master's program, uh, because again, it's weird, and I don't always agree with it, but having that master's degree behind your name does open doors for you. It does. Um, it, it. I don't agree with it either, for the record. Um, so my mentor for crayfish, little backstory on this. This is what keeps me humble. He he has a four year degree. Uh, for his master's degree, his advisor gave him this crawdad that is like a freaking taxonomic nightmare. And he started working on its taxonomy in 1973. And he's literally going out in the field a month from now to keep working on that project. So it's, he's been doing this for like 50 Almost fifty years. Is it a matter of trying to key it out or figure out how different? Uh, like- it the the traits that the, the things you use to identify it are horrible, so you can't like get black and white traits to make a taxonomic key and describe the different species. But like he is literally the smartest guy that I know, um, and he was excluded from a graduate degree because of his ad- poor advising. Um, so you know, degrees are necessary. And it's kind of crap that I always say that they're the key that opens the door. And I don't know if that's necessarily right that we're that way, because a lot of people have a lot of knowledge and you don't necessarily have to go to college to get that knowledge. But unfortunately, the way society works, you have to have the damn degrees to get those doors completely open. For a lot of things, I don't have a degree, but I don't work in a field that requires one, but I still make a good living. Well, and... In this hobby, there are so many people that know mm-hmm. so much. So this is my yeah. my knock on AZA. Uh, I've always had a problem with AZA's outlook on private keepers, uh, especially yes, when it comes 100%. to when it comes to breeding. <laughs> there are so many private keepers who can breed some of these endangered things a million times better than any zoological uh, park could, but because they're a private guy in their house breeding, like like the guy in the breeds pine snakes, snakes, he can breed pine snakes better than anybody probably on Earth. But they're never going to let him do anything because yeah. mm-hmm. uh, he's not a zoo. Uh, I agree with you 100%. That's one of my soapboxes, actually. And I now get to be at well. the table, and it's kind of fun because they 
people have assumed that I don't think that. <laughs> and then I'm at the table and I'm like, well, we can't figure out how to do this. Blah, blah, blah. And then I start going, what about the private sector? And then they're like, well, and then I go. Um, because I'll, I'll say this uh, with everybody listening. Um, because our school, I, I don't want to like have this recorded for all of time. So I've got to think about how I say this. <laughs> yeah, I understand um, that too. Yeah. But uh, it was very difficult for me to make it into AZA and have people take me seriously um, because I wasn't part of AZA. It's, yeah. it, it is. Coming from an AZA view, I completely understand that. There you go. So you have to go to a, through accreditation also, don't you? Uh, we do and we don't. So we actually were going to try to become AZA accredited. And then I started talking with a lot of people. And they, told and you, they actually said, don't get it. Yeah. Because yes. if you want to do research, you're going to have to, like, the bureaucracy and the red tape for you to do anything is going to be so crippling that you want your freedom. So we are, um, we pay to be part of AZA. And there's like, we have the membership in AZA that enables us to work with certain SSPs, yeah. species survival plans, but they're the ones that are kind of open ended. Um, but no, I had several herp curators flat out say to me, like, don't do it uh, because it, it's going to limit you. Um, so we didn't do it. But the private sector got me to where I am. I tell everybody that. Like, all this herpetoculture stuff I'm doing in an academic setting, uh, I, I tried to go and find books. And the books were like veterinary manuals, which are not necessarily what I was looking for. And so, like, I tell everybody, I spent a lot of time on ebay and i hunted down every freaking copy of the vivarium that old magazine oh yeah we have a complete run we have a complete run of reptiles and a lot of people crap on reptiles because the current version of reptiles isn't that great no but it's i love the, the old version that I, got. Old version. I have a stack of old but ones back here yeah. in high school man oh that's like really the awesome. 90s version is wonderful yeah so i've got every one of those and when i send my kids to get material for their projects it's like using the Dewey Decimal System. They go to where the, the they don't know what to do. Because they're like, what about PDF? I'm like, I don't have a PDF. Go find the magazine. It's in that. What's, what's a magazine? <laughs> How do yeah. I get to the next page? So, uh-huh. But uh, that's like the material we use. And then podcasts. That's why I got into podcasts. I was trying to find stuff and I found NPR um, when I was starting. And I've listened to every episode of NPR, all 11 years worth. Um, it's been fun to watch Eric and Owen's like <laughs> transformation over time. Yes. But, but no, uh, and, and listening to people in the private sector, not everybody's great, but there's plenty of people that are. So well, it's like, that's our, my take on that. Crocodile encounter that's here. We went there a couple weeks ago and he showed us behind the scenes and, uh, cause we had him on the podcast a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. He has an entire room full of baby Chinese alligators so and, and no one stole one for me. Nope. I didn't even take it back. But, but just tons of them. And I'm like, the like he definitely breeds them better than probably most AZA zoos are trying to do. Yeah. And he's warned them before. He said, look, we're going to end up breeding more than you want us to breed. And uh, AZA just went like, they, they kind of laughed at him. And he's like, no, we, we're going to have a lot of them. And so he's just going to keep breeding. So them. precious. So I'm hoping he one took us in there yeah. to see him. I'm hoping one falls oh. off the back of a truck at some point. Yep. <laughs> and, so, and, and AZA definitely is great on, on certain fronts, but that's, that is a criticism I have is that like, stop being so clicky. If you're all, if you're in this for conservation, which is what I'm like, what I am first and foremost is a conservation biologist. And you shouldn't like 
let bureaucracy and yeah. ego get in the way of saving a species from extinction. Like it definitely has. Somebody breeds them better. And if Jim Bob breeds them better in a kiddie pool in his backyard, because he has everything that works there, then give them the Jim Bob and get them out of like the zoo. That's, doesn't have the facilities to get it done right or at least have jim bob come in and show you what he's doing and then you do it like he is yes uh will mcready said am i mistaken or does one of the guys from call your bird corner podcast work with crayfish also that's me that would say that yes yes he does (laughs) that's that's that nice no call you corner sorry is um that's owen and riley and then Matt and I are Colubrid and Colubroid. That's radio. right, Colubroid. That's, That's right. Yeah. That's yep. funny. Which is a whole other thing because the Colubroid thing always confused me. Yeah. Like, well, don't don't add a whole other word. <laughs> but so, anyway, Zach, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to come up there and get a master's degree in zoological sciences and everything else, and play with reptiles and get bit by big ass false water cobras. Yes. Uh, look me up on social media. I'm on Facebook. It's just Zach Loafman. Um, and then on Instagram, uh, my students convinced me to do this, and it killed me a little. Yeah, I tagged um, you with the, with the name. Yes. And I am Dr. Crawdad on Instagram, <laughs> which my university, for the record, thinks is like the greatest thing on I'm earth. just telling oh you, God. I'm going to need your shirt size. So here's the thing. Because yeah. I already have like six shirt designs in my head there with that go. on there. So Double I'm going to need your shirt size. I'm telling you right now. Double XL. You're sitting on a, on a on gold line here. Oh, my you God. You need to do yes. TikTok and take that name to TikTok and just have your students help you figure out TikTok stuff with crawfish. Yeah. and uh, That's fabulous. It'll be amazing. Some fun music with little crawfish. I tried to do a and it fizzled, but the TikTok, I don't understand the TikTok. Thing. I don't That's have a TikTok. Generation thing yes. ends for me. I, I can't. One of my coworkers, uh-uh. I went in at lunch today. I'm like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "I'm watching t- TikTok because I'm bored." I'm like, "I don't even have TikTok." So like, I, as a kid, I always like my parents would always buy me the same phone they had, so I could figure it out and teach them how to use it. I'm like, "How can you not figure this out?" And now that I've gotten older, I'm like, "Oh shit, you reach an age where you no longer understand shit. Mm-hmm. You, you don't understand, but then you reach another age where you just don't give a shit." Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's where I, I haven't got there yet. I want to understand <laughs> some of the shit. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to know how to work. The, I just want to be able to hit the button, hit the button, get the best. Like, that's all I want. Yeah. So, Feel that in my soul. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> but so anyway, but no, that's where you can find me. And anybody that's interested in that grad degree, I said this on our podcast last night. I'm going to say it everywhere. I literally have an open graduate assistantship just sitting, waiting for a grad student to come up here and work with all those reptiles, do their thesis. I just spent... In the past month, I spent two weeks in Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah. Because we're setting up a herpetoculture thing down there. I mean, like, I don't understand. I literally, this is how I'm designing this whole thing. I think about when I was 20 and what I wanted to do. And now I'm doing it for the other people that are 20. And I can't figure out why people aren't coming. Like, we have people coming, but I just need one more. Oh, so I, that's wide open. I would have reach killed. out to me and we'll have a conversation. I would have so. killed for that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't oh. require me to be a grad student i would be like hell yes but yeah. uh i i am not i'm not a school person i i tried it twice well, and it was just not my jam well let me say something else because <laughs> this is something that i did think about and then we can get off like a lot of people think like oh he's a dr loafman he's an academic i had a 2.9 gpa as an undergrad <laughs> I, mean, I failed gen chem three times <laughs> First 
time I took pre-calc, the professor called me in for an office hour. I went to school here where I teach. So it was like small school environment. And he was like, this is back in the early, early 2000s, late 90s, where it was not the world we live in. And he literally looked at me and said, okay, I don't know how to say this, but I heard a lot about you. And I thought you were supposed to be smart. <laughs> so uh, you got a 12 in this class. That was pre-calc. So I can't do math. I can oh, make I a spreadsheet. I this, math. Was, this is you. This is you math. made over. I felt physics. He oh told a high school. I don't want to talk about physics. It's the only class I've ever felt in my whole life. And I was like. Yeah. That's the one you took at the community college, right? No, that was organic chem. Organic chem. I I got engaged with my wife. I was accepted to grad school, and I had to pass physics in the last semester of my life as an undergrad. I studied eight hours a day, and when I say that I like got my pinky knuckle across the finish line to get my D, <laughs> I had a seventy point. Nine percent. Oh fuck you! <laughs> I had a D. See, I can't even do the math now. No, I had a D, and that's why I failed because I had to take <laughs> physics two for my major. And they're like, "Well, you can't go on to physics two unless you have a C." Well, yeah, what, the, no. what the fuck? So I had to no, take I, physics I one twice. And 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 my dad took me out to eat for one grade. Like when I got my PhD, didn't take me out to eat. <laughs> <laughs> but when I got that D in physics two. He took, I got a giant steak, like the whole family. Was nice. Like, it was, it was crazy. So I understand that. And, and we've done, I don't want to say that we've made it easy because we haven't made it easy, but we, you know, I'm in charge. And so I know what you need to get these degrees. So like the undergrad degree, uh, there's no physics, there's no organic. Um, depending on which track you take in SUSI, you take the single semester chemistry like we whittled, but we we make up for those credit hours with people taking animal behavior or herpetology, mammalogy, ornithology, mm-hmm. animal nutrition, like all these classes you actually use. Because I'm too bad very pragmatic. Too bad I don't live in West Virginia. You could there move you to go. West Virginia. He I, said he could do a lot of it online. I have zero desire to move to West Virginia. That was do you the, need that another was, master's degree, James? Is grad, that what we're getting at here? That no, was the grad you've grad. never had to pay for school before. I don't want to start paying for school now. <laughs> no, yeah, that's no. why I, in fact, I actually I don't, tried to go back to school. And there was a program I was looking at, and it was for out of state. And they told me the cost. And I'm like, yeah, I just can't justify this. Yeah. I can't. I got you. <laughs> my, my undergrad was paid for by ACT scores, and I got paid to get my master's degree. I'm not going back to school. No. Nope. No, yeah. you did it right. Uh, yeah. But I don't know what it is about West Virginia and Virginia in that spot. If Warren ends up moving, you're going to have Warren, Zach, and Travis all right all there. Together. Mm-hmm. It's the weirdest combination. It's of like, going to be an awesome trifecta. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's going on over there it, that the rest of us And we literally make a triangle. That's the other thing. <laughs> That's very cool. <laughs> like if, if you want to study anything reptile related, just move just to that track. Go there. Yeah. Go up there. We got to come no, up with I, some I like cool. I Virginia Tech going to my field sites in South Carolina, and I will definitely be popping in on Warren. I can't see him in Oklahoma, but I can totally see him now. Yeah. You're have to come up with some cool like Bermuda Triangle type mm-hmm. like name a shirt. for it. Need a shirt with, with a, Yes. Okay. <laughs> All the doctors. Yeah. This is how you know I'm Anything. tired. I'm starting to get crafty. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I'm going to get my second wind, and I'm uh, going to be miserable for field day tomorrow. Yeah. All right. There so let's let Zach get out of here. Let's go ahead and do our, our outros. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us here at the show, it's uh, the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or at gmail.com. Don't forget about our giveaway for this month. We've got one week left. 
All you got to do is take a picture of your U.S. ARC membership and go post it on the post that is pinned at the top of our Facebook page, and you're in the drawing of this amazing mandala behind me on the wall, which unfortunately will have to go to somebody's house and no longer be in mine. But it's got it's beautiful. There's a picture of it on the Facebook page as well. And if you're not a member of U.S. ARC, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. Just join. Be a member of U.S. ARC. Just join. It's... It's it's vitally important, especially if you own any sort of really at this point any sort of exotic. If you any exotic, if you own a bird, a fish, a hamster, the money for U.S. Ark will definitely help you in the long run, uh, especially right now with thing decisions about to be made in certain areas. But um, I was oh don't forget our promo code Gumbo Twenty Two. Go order your VivTech light bulb. Get you some UVB light for your reptiles. Um, that's it. That's all I got. Thank you all for joining us. Zach, thanks for joining us. Hang out one second as we go by. Uh, Goodbye, everybody. See you all next week. Mm